Protesters have taken to the streets across America and around the world. They've toppled statues, taken over portions of major cities, and are demanding change. But do the organizers who mobilize them really want the same things that the protesters on the ground do? Or are these activists on the streets being bamboozled? Today, we pull back the curtain on how these activist organizations like Indivisible and Black Lives Matter operates, what the leaders are truly after, and how they pull the wool over the eyes of the masses that do their bidding for them. This is the Propaganda Report. I'm Brad Binkley here with Monica Perez. Monica, what's going on? I'm buckling my seatbelt, buddy, because that's hot stuff. You got a seatbelt in that computer chair? Yeah. For for situations just like this. Mixed a metaphor. I'm I turn I'm turning the fan on, whew, because this is gonna be some hot stuff. Buckle up the fan because it's gonna be hot in your seat. <laughs> yeah, it's been a long time. I'm super excited to have a propaganda report proper. It has deep been a while. Di- deep dive. I forgot how interesting some of this stuff is when you really dive into it. I did what I used to do too often. I got way too much material that I could never fit into a two and a half week span if we did like a nonstop show. So chiseling it down to a select amount is difficult. Made me realize that we're going to have to do others follow ups because I have so much great material on the stuff that I can't. I got to use it now. So we're going to have to do some follow up. That is super fantastic. We should roll something out for patrons as like a early release program for which sounds like they've been in jail. But it's an early release for propaganda. That's what's happening right now. This is an early release. Well, today I'm going to be I want to do a disclaimer. I'm going to be talking about Black Lives Matter a little bit, but. Everybody focuses that on race. That's not why I'm talking about it. Black Lives Matter is an organization. You pointed this out. I've pointed this out. It is an activist organization, just like Indivisible is, just like Fair Fight Georgia is. It is just like those organizations, except it has a better name that inoculates it from criticism because everything about it becomes about race. What I'm focusing on are the tactics and what they're really trying to do to the people that they're, they're, I think, manipulating into doing things that are putting a lot of people in jeopardy. That's why I want to talk about this. Because we, we see all this stuff going on in the streets right now. We see people protesting, people rioting, cars on fire, buildings on fire, statues coming down. And we see people committing crimes on camera, filming themselves, filming each other, as though they're, they have free reign to do it. Yet the stories you're not hearing much about is when the FBI has been arresting some of these people because they've gotten the cell phone footage. They've gotten the cameras from the stoplights. I mean, everything is surveilled. So even if you don't think somebody's filming you, you're getting filmed and people are committing felony after felony after felony on camera. And some of their lives are going to be ruined. They could be in jail for decades. They could even get killed and they're doing it in the name of these organizers who are telling them what they need to do and why. And the fact that the cops are pulling back, unless the statute of limitations for that stuff is like one day, they're going to let people just wind themselves up and wind themselves out and not see any consequences, not see any deterrence. It could go on and on and on. And later, they could just do a cleanup operation. That's why I never liked the body cam. I always said from the beginning, the biggest problem with 
body cams for cops is first of all anything that they have we should have on a live streaming url that can't be edited that's literally live because if they have the right to get that material without a warrant it's based all their rights are based on us then we have the right to see it but i always said from the beginning the biggest problem with those body cams is that those cops just have to show up at any protest any assembly any first amendment event and they all they have to do is walk around they don't even have to look at you your face will be captured Captured by that thing and with facial recognition technology they absolutely have a roster you don't want to register your gun how about registering your right to assemble that you are assembling on a certain political matter in a certain way at a certain time it is that has always been the big risk and i feel like this is just a way to keep people going and escalate that crowd thing that crowd mentality that if it is if it goes unchecked it will accelerate and people get themselves more and more in trouble and think that they're in some kind of bubble exception where it's it's okay right now like they don't have to wear masks but you're right they're getting set up it feels like you have immunity because the police aren't around and they're not stopping you in the here and now so i have free reign to do whatever that is not true and when people like stacy abrams and others have these bailout funds where they just go get them out pat them on the back say great job go in there and throw some more rocks at the police break some more windows they feel they feel uh, the words slipped my mind, but they feel like they cannot be beaten. But Yeah, invincible. Invincible. That is exactly the very easy word to remember that I forgot. <laughs> well, I noticed today there was an article in Minneapolis, which is leading the charge, because that's where the George Floyd death, where he was killed there, right? In Minneapolis? Isn't that where it was? That's yeah. the city. And that city... The city council is leading the charge and getting rid of the cops, of the police department, disbanding it. Normally, everybody says defunding, but they're disbanding it. Now, I just read in a very obscure little article, maybe it's widespread news now, but in a pretty obscure little article that the mayor is asking the FBI, the Secret Service, ATF, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, all things that shouldn't even be illegal. So they're bringing in a worse situation. He wants to regionalize the police response. So wait until they convince you that it's all pulled back. You do your worst. It's filmed by everyone, including yourself and your friends. It's on your own Facebook page. It's on your friends' Facebook pages. And then they come in with the feds. Yeah. And then they, the feds hoover up all of that data, and then they can put algorithms in onto who's who's up to what and and then you want to see systemic racism there yeah you just go. because just because the media is talking about the anarchism that's that's running wild and the police not arresting anybody and the police precincts being abandoned does not mean the laws have been abandoned they are still in place and can still be enforced if the evidence is gathered and the evidence is absolutely being gathered this actually kind of reminds me of the stacy abrams thing we talked about where she wrote the law in 2005 that was said to criminalize poverty it was targeting panhandling and then there was an undercover operation where a bunch of agents dressed up in hawaiian t-shirts and pretended to be tourists and baited the homeless people to come panhandle as soon as they did they rounded them up put them in jail they have a thousand dollar fine which none of them have because they're panhandling and they end up stuck in the system this reminds me of that at a larger scale 
And I think there was a later incident that may or may not have been related where all of a sudden they got a lot of funding to build prisons or uh, shelters or whatever it was that the event may or may not have triggered. But that is not an uncommon way of doing it is that I remember and maybe this didn't maybe it wasn't true. I don't know. But I Abrams remember did Cowboy support Stadium. a shelter, by the way, a shelter that went up right yeah. after this. She was associated with it. She was on the board of it and it ended up housing some of these people. And that and that actually isn't even nefarious. If if there was also a jail that came up in the wake of that, that would be something that I would really worry about. And that's what I think with this. What I really think is happening, if you listen to our daily show, is that when they defund the police they, and even if they disband the police at the local level, there is not going to be no laws and no policing. They're not restoring the Second Amendment. They're not restoring absolute property rights. They're not getting rid of the drug war. Both the Democrats and the Republicans are tying their protocols and accountability to the police totally unconstitutionally to federal funding. And why would anyone take the federal funding? Why would everyone take the federal funding and all the strings attached? Because they have no funding left themselves. And why is it so easy to defund them? Because all the tax coffers have dried up because the economy has been ground to a halt, not by a disease, but by policies. Yeah, the police could definitely whether it's the local or the federal police that come in, meet their quota pretty quickly. It could be some mass arrests that happen. And a big, big part, a massive part of both of these bills, the biggest thing is they the Republicans and Democrats act like they're not putting forth the same thing. It all reflects the same ideas. And one of the major ones is that it's all about data. It's all about data. Maybe it's about cop data, they say. I don't believe that. I think it's going to be bigger data. And if they are sucking up all that stuff from these occupied zones coming to crack down later, just the data has value and then they can use it for selective, for selective crackdowns. And if there's a, if the pendulum swings and I feel like it's going to, they're, they may they may hit, they, they will hit the people with no power much harder than the people who have some kind of standing. Yeah, and along with arresting people potentially, this data is going to enable them to do some other things as well that we know that they do because we've gone through some of the CIA OSS training manuals. They love to bribe people, they love to compromise people. They have data on everybody, not everybody, but all these people who are involved in protest, their behavioral data. They know which people will take the further step and do the radical violent action or the window smashing action. They could go to these people and say, we have this long list of felonies we can tag you with. You'll never be able to get another job in your life because nobody's going to hire someone who sets buildings and uh, fast food places on fire. So you're going to do some of our dirty work or we're going to slap you in with uh, uh, some federal offenses. I wouldn't be surprised if these these activities here, the fact that the cops have pulled back but of course there's no doubt that whatever surveillance they had in place before they're certainly going to continue that running that all of that could go into educating the techno state for the pre-crime program so as they pull away this local policing as the feds fund it as it almost as it is likely to get globalized with the technocracy that is moving in in the post-covid world part of that is uh, is surveillance pre-crime not like cop on the beat 
uh, this is a hot spot for crime. There's always drug deals here on a Friday night. I'm going to walk over to that corner. No, it's pre-crime where they program everything and they identify basically you. So they are educating it probably to your actual person, but also to patterns of behavior and locations. And a lot of these people that are the guinea pigs for this, or could be the guinea pigs, are mostly young people that would otherwise or potentially have whole future in front of them where they could achieve anything that that future is now being compromised because of the actions they're taking under the belief that they might not be held, that they won't be held accountable for them later on. And if this is the case, and it is, they should absolutely know a little bit more about the organizers who are compelling them to take these actions. They might not know who the organizer is, but the organizer is pulling the strings because that's how these these operations work. This stuff does not pop up spontaneously. It is planned and ready to go, ready to pounce on the most controversial issue that furthers their agenda. And I want to start by highlighting a little bit about one of the Black Lives Matter co-founders, Patrice Cullors. She is the one who I talked about last week who, on a radio show, talked about how there is an ideological focus for Black Lives Matter. And her explanation for that focus is, I'm a trained organizer and a trained Marxist. Marxism, somebody who's a trained Marxist, looks for conflict. Marxism is about finding conflict. It does not cooperate. It seeks the conflict in every avenue of society that it can either create a conflict or it can take a small one, amplify it, agitate it, turn opposing forces against each other, and then find that synthesis that pushes it forward, that helps it gain power financially or socially. Always seeks conflict, does not seek solutions. That is important to remember because... We've talked about Stacey Abrams' flag-burning incident. Something that, I haven't even brought up this point, but it's a pretty obvious one. There was a bipartisan effort to remove that symbol already in progress. Then Stacey Abrams' group came in and started setting flags on fire. Why would you protest? What's the point of a protest? You would think it's to get action to be taken on what you want. And if what you want is to get that symbol removed, then... Why are you setting a flag on fire when what you want is already happening? It's because that isn't what the organizer really wanted. They wanted to sabotage it because they need the conflict. They need the issue to exist. The same thing is going on here. Patrice was speaking. This is in 2018. She was speaking at a conference called a Bioneers Conference. And this is another one of those activist conference conferences where a bunch of people get together. Yeah, I haven't looked into where that name comes from. It's interesting, but they have these conferences throughout the year where these activists get together and they go to these trainings where they learn how to be better activists. They learn how to be better communicators. They learn how to be better allies. And she was a featured speaker. The person who introduced her was a woman named Sonielle Bailey. And to give you an idea of what Patrice was speaking about and how she operates, I want to play for you her introduction by Sonel because it's very specific in the example that she uses. And I think this, I think these comments are going to ring true for so many aspects of what we've seen with Stacey Abrams and all these other organizers, the dramatic storytelling nature. 
I had the good fortune of seeing Terrell Alvin McCraney speak at the Othering and Belonging Conference in 2017. And he said, I want theater and I want narrative and prose to scare the shit out of me, to open me up, to open up my heart so I'm walking home shaking. And the only way to do that is by following women, black and brown queer women, Give it up. assigned or trans, and to that end, without further ado, it's my honor to introduce an activist, an organizer, a daughter, um, in the words of Kevin Powell yesterday, a founding mother in the lines of many founding mothers to come to the stage. So let's give a warm Bioneers welcome to Patrice Conn-Cullors. So she was there talking about, in part, the use of story to mobilize like Stacey Abrams talks about a lot. And I did a lot of reading into this, and I'm not going to get into most of it on today's show, but this will be one of the follow-up shows, a specific focus on how story is used. But it's crafted. The narrative is absolutely crafted. It makes it abundantly clear. They don't worry about truth at all. We knew that anyway, but it's laid out in these training materials. It's not about truth. It's about what she said. It's about scaring the shit out of people. And this is the founder of Black Lives Matter who is being introduced on this theme. So that was Sonel mm-hmm. introducing Patrice? Yes. Okay, got it. Yeah. Patrice coming out. Yeah. Patrice, she knows how to scare the shit out of people. That's that's what I, I gathered from that. And then some of the research I've done confirms that. But that's a... Uh, that speaks to a lot of things we've talked about for so long. We want drama. We want theater. They, they have the theater of the oppressed is something that the communists used to do to dramatize the way that they've been oppressed by their oppressors out in the streets. And we see forms of this going on right now. This is stage. This is theater for the people who are or- organizing it. The people who are on the ground, there's a lot of true believers. They might not know this, but they are players in a dramatic play that the organizers are putting on for purposes that the activists might not truly understand. This is interesting because for forever, I see in art, I can hardly watch movies. I can hardly watch anything because it's ham-handed messaging. It's propaganda. It's There's just no way around it. You can see very clearly, easily what the point is, if it's pro-CIA or pro-cop or whatever the message is. It's pretty easy to see it. And at this point, I find everything from the news to movies on Netflix, it's as if there's, they are no longer wasting any time giving you art that, that isn't just ham-handed propaganda. It's almost like why waste a half an hour on and something that has other other value in addition. They don't want to, it's, it's like it's too much of a waste. And now that you put it in this context, I'm thinking, why not? It's just a change of medium. It's just a change of medium. The news, reality shows, yeah. these are these are art and and they're art on the screen, but why not if you're going to have them in life? It's it's just a different medium presented as being as true as the news or reality shows and it's and it may not be, I mean, I don't know what you're about to tell me, but I I guess I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be any less true than those things. It's live action out in the street performance art where some of the performers don't realize they're even performers. The organizers, which is the nature of the reality show. Some guy comes in and tells you that he just saw your girlfriend screwing the guy they rented out the third 
bedroom too. Yeah. Actually, there was a funny Dave Chappelle show like that, but <laughs> it was a reality show. Anyway, they set up You talking about Wife Swap, that episode? No, I think I was talking about where uh, they bring a friend in, Charlie Murphy, yeah. just got out of jail, and he bars the guy's girlfriend. <laughs> you don't remember that one? I don't think I've seen that one. I think it was a reality show. Anyway, the guy was crying, whatever. But it's they set up these scenes in the reality shows where you play through whatever it is that they threw in there. I mean, it's improv, right? A reality show, isn't it kind of like improv, but the people who are living in the house? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe From I'm what I understand, wrong. they, they know the scenarios out. are supposed to yeah. accomplish, and they probably do get some conflict. I mean, they absolutely get, get conflict that's unexpected, like the Jerry Springer show. So you're saying your wife cheated on you with your so-and-so, your best friend. Well, here's your best friend. Here's your wife. It's like that. <laughs> but the one in the back, I never even watched it, but like the MTV one, the very first reality show there was, they put a bunch of people, kids, 20 year olds or whatever in a in a big place bunch of liquor and and i think yeah and i i don't think that they were all actors i think that they did not realize what they were getting themselves into and they had problems they had like depression problems and stuff and and i'm just saying that they even the reality show even the hosts of the news when you see that chick read off the ridiculous names of the pilot of the asiana air crash in san francisco you know that these newscasters have no idea whether what they're saying is true or not. It doesn't matter. Right. So the the people who are are doing the performance when it's supposed to be true don't necessarily it's better when they don't know. Yes, because they can be authentic actors. Yeah, they don't have to authentic act. Authentic as they can be. Yeah, that's a great point. The produ- producers of MTV Real World, ironic that it is called Real World, but the producers with that scenario, throwing these young kids into a house together, good looking young kids, and giving them a bunch of alcohol, letting them go to a big city or at the beach. It's the, it's. I mean, this is like a spring break, national television fame. The producers, producers knew exactly what was going to happen. However, the people getting in the house just thought they were coming to party and they didn't think it through so they were you know somewhat genuine at least everybody when the camera's on they don't they act they know the camera's on so they act out i knew a real nice girl who was uh they she said oh they want me to be a rich housewife or uh, on a show and i just begged her not to do it i don't think she did it but i i just said you yeah they will really hurt you and your family Somebody tried to get me to come out and be on, potentially be on one of these reality shows recently. I did not, I was not interested in doing it, but I was thinking about how would that play out? And I was like, I can't see a scenario where I would be okay with how this played out at all. So, But at least they're telling you that you're getting plugged into that. And yeah. I agree with you. I think the protesters, I feel like the, the level of manipulation is so high that they literally, it's like a bull in a rodeo. I mean, I know they strap up their things, but they put them in a in a pen and they tie up their privacy and then they open the door and they come busting out. And I just I feel like if that's what they did with the covid thing, they put everybody 
in their houses. They locked the door. They waited for the for the gases to heat up or whatever, for the gases to expand. And everyone just wanted to bust out of those doors. And that's how they got people out there in the protest who wouldn't even have been caught up with it under normal circumstances. I feel like yeah. that was absolutely They planned. were exposed to the news, yeah. And they- Oh so- yeah, and they were locked in mm-hmm. that box with the news as the only thing. The sports were canceled, new episodes of shows were canceled. Yep. And that was an actual theme you brought up. And I heard other people say, it was like, oh, I saw a whole article in the New York Times about telling pe- that people were complaining of, about depression and anxiety from watching too much news. Yeah. It had never been a better time for the media to pump propaganda into people's heads and people have nowhere else to go. It's inescapable. But the producers of the protest, the organizers are like the producers of the MTV real world. They know what the outcome is going to be when they get a bunch of young people together. They get them jacked up on the thrill of the protest. And they talk about this, how thrilling the protest is that gets them addicted to coming back and back. And they they praise them on social media, our protester, our indivisible of the week and then they show off the pictures of the dramatic stunt potentially even violent stunt that they did and it's celebrated so that incur it's a it's a high they they want it's a performative high they want more of it it's sexual Asalinsky talks about this getting involved in these movements involves a lot of young people that are taking a lot of action and they have the thrill thrill of action together with other people is always uh, can create a lot of attraction and Asalinsky talks about how these these activists these organizers they are not monogamous at all they are very much a lot of infidelity there's a lot so there's a lot of things that young people are after anyway that they get from being involved in these protests and this stuff can blind them for blind them to the actual causes that they are helping forward and i think that that's important to keep it that emotional keep it like that so that they remain blind yes and that is such the power of the crowd and then people like kind of wake up later And that is how totalitarian dictatorships, I don't want to make any odious comparisons, but I, but if you look anywhere in history at atrocities that involve uh, demagogues, demagogues, they get the people to consent to these things that, that the people either don't think through, it's all emotional, or they're just influenced by the fact that everyone says it's a good idea. I do caution people against just going along with the crowd under any circumstances. You make sure you know what where your principles are and what, what the goal is and that you're not getting influenced by someone yeah. who's not being completely honest. Yeah, I completely agree. If you are someone who is involved in these protests and you're listening to this show, I'm not sure why. I'm not sure how you've made it this far because you probably would have gotten upset with us already. But if you have, the reason that I like to put this stuff out there personally is because, not because I want to antagonize or want to mock what is going on. It's because when you study this stuff, you can see, and you can see it through history, that the organizers behind it, pulling the strings, they do not care about the things that they that you think they care about. And the outcome could be bad for you, but it will be good for them and they will not help you and they could very well purge you. I'm only encouraging people to ask more questions and you might find that the very act of asking questions could get you blacklisted, which I think validates what I'm saying and validates that you probably don't want to be involved with them. Yes. And 
also it might be bad for the cause. You're like, it might be bad for you. It may, it may be good for the organizers, but even the cause that you think you're there for, yes. like the flag. It's usually the opposite. Yeah, right. Yes, yes. They need the, the thing that you're trying to accomplish, they don't want to accomplish because look yeah. at how powerful it is. And the other thing I want to say, and this is true for every, every, Basically, everybody you could stereotype or classify, teachers, cops, you know, I'm a libertarian, I'm an anarcho-capitalist. I don't go for the government agencies at all. But I'll tell you, and this happens in normal life, you get pissed off at somebody, whatever. When you actually talk to people, they have their point of view. And it's very, I don't really know, it's only a small minority of people I know who are just total assholes. You know, yeah. And if you and if you want to like paint a bunch of people on one side or or the other as total assholes, chances are, I mean, there are agents provocateur, there are fakes. I understand that when people show up to cause trouble, they're whatever they wear uniforms to do it. They're that I'm not talking about, but I'm talking about your neighbor who we're supposed to all hate each other. If you or you want to say people are being duped, if you talk to people. The majority of just normal people who aren't getting paid to do bad things, they're, they mean well. Maybe they're not thinking it through. Maybe they don't have the information. Maybe they're more emotional, uh, younger, more idle. Like there are reasons for it. And I feel like there's nothing wrong with it. That's why you have to, there's nothing wrong with, I, I promote activism, but it is important to understand what you're working for and if it will really happen. And I actually tell people, my kids, people in my life, that you want to take a stance, you want to poke a bear or whatever, what is your objective? And is what you're doing serving that objective? Or is it satisfying some emotional need you have, some desire you have to do some kind of thing or somebody else's desire? What is your objective? And are you moving towards that with your actions? Yeah, they pump these stereotypes into people stereotypes of other people and they fill them with emotion and they cause them to react to that stereotype and not the other people and they never stop and think because they are within those mass groups people are smart people are insightful you're right when they're given the opportunity to be these organizers must not let that happen and actually i think we're getting something that just from a different angle, I'm talking about individuals and that's so different from a crowd. Yes. And when you're talking about stereotyping the other side, it is very, I've observed it on many circumstances, maybe all circumstances, the organizers want certain stereotypes of their own side to be generated. That's the essence of the dialectic because they're not going to get the reaction that makes the other side look the way you want the other side to look. This is the Republican Democrat thing. It took me so long to realize that you're seeing the other side and you're never looking behind you at the thing the other side is seeing, which is often just as bad. And part of the power of a two of a of that kind of a conflict is to make sure you have a reaction. If everybody's on the same side, you're not getting the synthesis that you're looking mm -hmm. for. So you want to paint the other side as a certain stereotype, but you have to make sure the other side sees you that at the in. Say that again. You cut out. Oh, did I? The very last part you cut out. 
you get the conflict by looking at the other side and seeing something you don't like, but it's important that the other side looks at you and sees something they don't like as yeah. well. And that anybody who's looking for, for a, the protest to further their own personal interests rather than, Oh, Hey, we need to reform the police. Agreed. Agreed. The Republicans, the Democrats have very similar bills out there yeah. to perform. I'm not saying I agree with it or disagree with it. It's very similar. There should be, everyone should just be like, oh, okay, we're done here. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's it, but they can't, they will not do that because it's not about that. It's about what's past that. Yeah. And in order to get past it, they have to keep the energy up. Yeah. And personal one-on-one -on -one interaction, open discussion is such an effective way to actually make progress you find that people are reasonable people think things through people are willing to change when they get information that is new to them but when it's in a crowd and there's people watching it becomes a tribal warfare it no longer is about that actual engagement in the discussion in the progress of the argument so that's what they don't want. They don't want people having these one-on-one -on -one connections because that's when people can really open their eyes and start to actually influence people on the, quote, opposing side. All right, this clip here, I found this interesting. Patrice, this is the co-founder of Black Lives Matter, the official Black Lives Matter, I should say. There's another Black Lives Matter foundation that was founded two years before this that, that is blackballed, blacklisted from the actual movement, despite the fact that it was founded first, despite the fact that it's like a 70-year-old black man who wants to end police brutality. He's been blacklisted. His GoFundMe account frozen. His PayPal frozen. He, he smeared as someone who is exploiting the name to try and benefit financially, even though he was there first. And the whole reason that is, is because the way that he is trying to end police brutality is through cooperation, through working with the police and connecting police with African-American communities, making them familiar with each other, get to know each other, which is a great idea. But that is not okay with the Marxist Black Lives Matter organization that is worldwide because they need conflict. He is not pursuing conflict, so he's blacklisted. It's terrible. And and any movement needs unity on their side. You can't have a schism within because then people will start talking and they'll start evaluating and maybe they choose the other side. That's Absolutely. why Republicans, some conservatives hate libertarians worse than liberals do. Yeah, to me, that in and of itself, that other organization getting kind of blackballed from the, the movement shows that it's not really about that phrase that people keep saying, Black Lives Matter. Because if it were, then they would care about what this guy cares about as well, and he would not be smeared and blacklisted. It's about pushing these Marxist agendas that they would be pushing under some other name if it wasn't the Black Lives Matter name. I actually think that because it isn't really about that, it isn't really about whatever they're saying it absolutely specifically has to be, they're going to have a compromise on this and, of course, it's obviously going to be federal funding of low federal funding and de facto control of the local yeah. thing. And they will have someone who champions that compromise, but it's going to be someone they control. So maybe it's Stacey Abrams. Mm -hmm. She came out and said, but it's not going to be this guy because this guy probably, especially when you get older, like, you know what? I'm just going to do my thing. He wants I don't to solve problems. He wants yeah, to and, solve problems. They don't yeah. want that. And they also want the, if you're going to, 
if you're going to accept a solution, the synthesis, it's much better for you to get credit for it and control its implementation. Yeah, yeah. Right. You can't give other people credit for it. I was reading something about about getting your issue as an activist. And I think this was Saul Linsky. He was talking about when somebody is already championing the issue in their way and people are familiar with it through these other people championing it, how that's fine. You can help them if you want, but it is not your issue and it's not going to benefit you that way. So you have to harpoon it and make it yours. And I'm like, that's what Stacy did when she burned the flag. Is it, She could have supported the people that are already doing it, but it wouldn't be her issue. She wouldn't get to benefit, wouldn't get to increase political power by exploiting it. So she... She uh, sabotaged it. It sounds like high school girls. It really like does. High school girls who are really good at being high school girls. Yeah, cheerleaders. I, they, you know what I mean? They just, they can, they know how those power dynamics work. You it's think Stacey's a, funny... a cheerleader? They do know the power dynamics. Yeah. They... No, I don't. But I, I just think it's funny because I can relate to that having been hurt by that kind of thing. That's interesting. Like, that's a good yeah. idea, but we're not doing it because it's Monica's idea and then two minutes later, everybody else is smoking in the fire escape, the and uh, I wasn't invited. <laughs> yeah, the power dynamics of high school cheerleaders is similar to that of politicians, I think. That's a great point. Okay, so See, I would have been a great cheerleader, except for I wouldn't... You'd, you'd I, stop I would, in the middle, and you'd, you'd criticize the cheer if it were... <laughs> this isn't true. Our team's not the best. We're not number one. We haven't been number one. No, it's that my eight older brothers and sisters would have pummeled me if I did anything but listen to rock and roll yeah. and venture to school spirit. I needed to drop out of high school in order to remain a member of my family. Oh, well, that's the only way you could get accepted. Basically. See? It's so it doesn't have to be a good thing. It didn't help me, but I fit yeah. in with the crowd. Okay, so Patrice here talks about what protesting is to African-Americans. And I'm playing this now because I'm going to come back to this probably throughout the rest of the show. I think it's interesting the way that she uh, frames this. For black folks, protest is grieving. And Let's start that over. Listen to that, listen to that beginning. For black folks, protest is grieving. And so folks go out. They hold a vigil. They hold a protest. And instead of receiving care instead of receiving dignity, instead of receiving love, they're met with rubber bullets. They're met with tear gas. Protesting is grieving. You're grieving when you protest. It's okay what you do. And even though you might be doing something that's damaging other people's property or other people, they should meet you with care and concern <clears throat> and not rubber bullets. Protest is grieving. It's an interesting way to dismiss any criticism of the actions that the protesters take. It may be a form of grief. I, I, I think it not, is in certain instances. Or mourning. Yes, it is. It is. It in its if it to the extent when it's legitimate. I absolutely see that it's an expression of deep sadness and frustration for some. And I. Yeah. Yeah, let's just say there is a category of that. Yeah, definitely. I would say if that's where you are and that's what you're doing, it is really unfair to tell those people to expect to be met by those they blame with love. 
Because when you are set up for something that is never going to happen Mm -hmm. and satisfy you, it is deeply hurtful. And I can tell you, I see it. I see people I love. Bad marriages are like this. You look at the person who's hurting you and you bare your soul in the hopes that they heal you with their love and they are just going to hurt you again. Yeah. So to set somebody up like that and say, you are in pain, do this thing, expect to be cured of that pain, and then that person goes out there and gets hurt again, It's it. I, I don't know what she's going to say, but I feel like it's unrealistic to expect that the society that has hurt you is going to help you in that way at that time. And I think that she knows that. I think she's well aware of that. I think she's pumping the audience with full of rationalizations for the type of behavior that goes on that it's unnecessary. This goes back to my thing. What is your goal? Mm-hmm. And is what you're doing going to get you that goal? Yeah, yeah. And, and you have to use your own mind because what these people do when they tell you, like Linda Sarsour tells you to vote for someone you don't approve of get in line just don't do anything until that phone rings you wait don't do anything until i call you and tell you what to do that is not what you want to do what you want to do is plug in your brain because you can figure it out you have truth dar you know i realized recently i was talking to one of my friends who is a progressive and i was talking about one of the candidates or he brought up a candidate about a Democrat or something. And I said something about that candidate. I was like, do you know that this person was involved in this, that? It was something that was made, it really destroyed the credibility of the candidate. And he didn't care. He said, I'm paraphrasing, but he said something like, well, do you not think that this person would still promote the policies that every all the Democrats? So, so in his mind, it didn't matter who was in there. I'll tell you, I kind of say that about looking back at heroes, Martin Luther King or Thomas Jefferson. If people want to say stuff about their personal thing, I'm like, okay, that's fine. If you want to eliminate people for every little thing, not not little things, but if for every for anything, if if the, if they're, everything's a deal breaker, absolutely no ideology or change can be valid. The thing is, the problem I have with a lot of this stuff that's coming out these days is the is the is the subjectivism is the fact that there it, the rules do not apply across the board and look if it's retaliatory it's retaliatory if you want to change the rules as you go around but turning the tables and ending up with the same the same unreliable recourse to justice or whatever it is that is the problem is not going to serve you well read bastiat's the law the law. Yes, it's a good one. The law. It's a short one. To your point a moment ago, I have always thought that a good comparison of what propaganda is, is to a, an abusive relationship to where it keeps promising you these utopian, everything's going to be great. Everything's going to be fine. Emotional manipulations only to then destroy you and manipulate you in the background every single time. Really? I That's so interesting to me because I thought I was out on a limb there. Yeah, I've, what, I've, de- I've like I've thought about that have? for a while actually. Yeah, it's like really, yeah, because it is because of that mo- moving the goalpost thing or what is it? It's a constant, relentless, never-ending series of emotional exploitations. 
And that's what an this abusive is relationship what, is. When a really nice, another nice gal who I was so happy she seemed conservative and I mentioned, and I mean conservative in like a fiscal or whatever, traditional conservative way. And I said that I liked Ron Paul and she just threw up her hand. She was disgusted. His foreign policy is dangerous. This was years ago. And I was like, his foreign policy is dangerous. Then 20,000 bombs a year later, things are worse, not better. And I, and I think to myself, the people who are still reading the same propaganda the same, no matter what president is in office, it's the same propaganda of why we need to kill people we don't know who could not possibly hit us here. They they make stuff up to make it look like they can hit us here and that it is it's just sick and immoral. And it's it's soul destroying because you're telling people that it's OK, that you're saying that we can steal money from people to pay for bombs to kill people. And these are these are folks who think that they stand against that stuff. And they passionately and defend that position too. Throwing your hands up. I don't know if you were being literal there, but people do that when you say things sometimes. They throw their hands up. It's such a visceral emotional response. And they engage in a diatribe that they really haven't come up with on their own. They've kind of been programmed with it through repetition on every media That's outlet. Why they throw their hands up. Yeah. And I do that to people. I like blow their minds. I don't mean like I short circuit them. I don't mean I blow their minds. I just like piss them off by accident. Yeah. Because yeah. they'll say something. I'll say, oh, but that's not true. Didn't you see that like that didn't really happen? That person, it was just like a little whatever. It was clearly not real. Mm -hmm. Like the, the, the beheadings in Libya in the Bay yeah. was definitely not real. Even Fox News had to report that. 21 people were not killed. It was a loop of seven people yeah. going around three times. Just all that stuff. And they, they, they've they invested so much in it that they cannot accept the truth. And that is, that is what, that is what happens when your husband cheats on you and you're like, you have kids and you can't go anywhere and people want to tell you and or whatever he's do up to, no good. He's a gambler, let's just say. People want to tell you, and they try to tell you, but you cannot hear it because you cannot afford to abandon that thing that you are so completely entrenched with. Because How part of your identity. It has to be, and you're somehow in it. It's like a bad job. Like if you've been in a career, you're a CIA agent, all of a sudden you're like, oh, maybe there we do bad stuff. Well, I'm 20 years in, and <laughs> there's no back door. Yeah, and there's that, no exit. Yeah. That's the power of tribalism and psychological warfare is you turn politics into like a college football game, Georgia Tech versus Georgia. If you spend... 15 years of your life completely invested in one of those teams while hating the other, nothing matters. No facts, no truth, no logic. You only want to defeat your enemy. Tribalism makes me crazy. I don't like it, and I'll tell you why, and it's happening. Karl Popper, the open society guy who's George Soros's intellectual mentor, or a philosophical mentor, talks about how tribalism must be destroyed. The open society means there can be no connections that aren't kind of all the same. And I think that we kind of defeated tribalism by creating pure consumerism, materialism here. And I think they've done it in China, and I feel like they that 
Marx's thing was called the dialectical materialism, right? I don't know what that exactly means, but somehow I feel like we have pure materialism, consumerism, and that they brought, I've read a lot about it. I'm not going to get into the details, but they brought, it was Michel Foucault, I think, in the 80s, something like that, brought this identity politics thing, which was kind of an extension of the Frankfurt School, which I believe was the cultural Marxism stuff. And they brought it here and they, and it just, it was very one sided until Trump brought the identity politics. And now we have that tribalism. That is, that's why people say we're more polarized than ever. Yet we, yet the policies, if you look at the two police reform laws, they are equally, equally constitutional, unconstitutional. I mean, they're the same. They touch on the same things. It's the same solution. It's a matter, a slight matter of degree here or there. The policies are converging. They're converging in an unconstitutional way. They're converging where the welfare state and the warfare state are bigger than ever. They're converging in a way that we are bringing down. We are bankrupting every level of government. They're converging in all those ways, yet we are perceived to be and are, in fact, more polarized than ever. And it's this, what I will say, is artificially induced tribalism. I would definitely agree with that artificially induced and it's almost like the more divided and polarized the public the public gets the more unified and the more unified the policies coming from the top get. That's why they do it. That's yeah. what the story was. It was um the ideology of tyranny by Guido Preparata Preparata who also wrote Conjuring Hitler. Good stuff but hard to get through. He said the whole thing was about keeping our eyes on each other. I mean, it's obvious. We know that's what they're doing, but he actually draws the lines, brings the philosoph the philosophical framework for it. The real, like why, how they knew it would work is because they, this guy was smart. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he figured it out. And then it's something, the cultural, the Marxism before that, I believe the idea was it's it is it was more powerful. This ethnic identity was more powerful than international than workers of the world unite. They couldn't get them to do it. They saw that Hitler, in a way, had an ideology better than Stalin because the entire world would not cleave to Stalin, whereas every nation could rise up on its own. You could have the nationalism element. So they went for that. And it has the added benefits of being insoluble or unresolvable. And that you can't, so you can't reconcile it and you can't, uh, you can't throw it off. It's a part of you. It's a very part of you. It's, it's almost insidious in the fact that it is identity politics. It means you cannot compromise because your identity is your identity. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's kind of interesting. It's woven it's, up it in is, your entire being. It's like a tautology. You can't, or an oxymoron. You cannot, it cannot, it cannot be resolved. Yeah. Lenin, Vladimir Lenin, the Russian dictator, he was an organizer. He was one of the groundbreaking or organizers. He wrote many books on the subject of organizing the masses. He did work that is still used today and still quoted today in training sessions. And what he would create, his object in doing this was to create an organizational weapon. 
And that is a mass of people that could be mobilized as quickly as possible. He wanted it to be overnight. That probably wasn't true back then. Now, today, with modern technology, absolutely, you can mobilize around the world overnight. But you create this organizational weapon that from now until whenever, you, with the influence and the power over it, can use it as a club to beat your enemies to death at any point in time. And your goal is to maintain that weapon and grow its strength so you can grow your power and your influence using it. And these organizations, Black Lives Matter right now, has become one of the most powerful organizations on the planet with what's going on. I wonder... If last year, 2019, I don't know if it was Time Magazine or something I was reading, said it's the year of the protest. Everyone was freaking out about the Hong Kong thing. There were protests everywhere. And I remember thinking, I just don't buy anything. I just don't buy spontaneity. I just don't buy it. And I could see how it was being fostered. We were fostering the one in Hong Kong, and yet at the same time in bed with China on Event 201. What is going on here? And I wonder if ultimately, and then I read that quote from the thing that Stacey Abrams was an intern at. Was it, what is it, the, uh, what was it? It wasn't the British American, maybe it was the Salzburg conference. It was some... Something I read uh, the the a paper, a recent paper from something that Stacey Abrams was an intern at years ago, and it said we want control, but we also want liberalism. So that means freedom and control at the same time makes no sense. But he said so. Sometimes things look like they're not liberal, but they help us control. So that's the Iran deal, and then there are other things that look liberal but not controlling which is like fostering democratic dissidents in certain countries trust us over time these things will all serve the interests of i mean he almost i think he actually wrote something like this new world order or something crazy like that but so it's very clear that they they use these kind of what looks like short-term problems to build long-term power Yes. And if they and if that's how those that's how those protests maybe we're training people in how to do it, how to do it in your country, how to how to communicate on social media, how to dress for it, how to Mm -hmm. respond. Maybe that was last year was them setting up the networks for the big show. And to that, I want to play this clip. Did I did Patrice have any more to say in that clip? Did I? Oh, I've got a lot of Patrice coming up still. This is Patrice again talking about. Kind of what you're talking about there, how they've been planning for this for a long time. This was not spontaneous by any means at all. So here, yeah, she's talking about the themes and her approach. I'll play it, and I think you will be able to see what I mean. Clip three. And this became an incredibly important moment for Black. She's talking about after Trayvon Martin and Ferguson the important moment for Black Lives Matter. And this became an incredibly important moment for Black Lives Matter because it's the rise of what is now a global network of 40 chapters across the globe. A network of 40 chapters here in the US and Canada and the United Kingdom. We've seen Black Lives Matter be used across Latin America, 
We've seen it used, yes, shout out. We've seen it used in South Africa. We've seen it used in Amsterdam and Australia. Because when we created Black Lives Matter, we were super clear on a few things. One, this movement wasn't a movement about black Americans only. This movement was a global movement and that it was incredibly important that we connected ourselves to a larger diaspora because anti-black racism isn't a US phenomenon. It is a global phenomenon. The second thing is we were super clear that Black Lives Matter was about all black lives. It was about black women, black queer folks, black trans folks, black people with, with convictions, black people who are incarcerated, black people with disabilities. We were not building a movement just for heterosexual cis black men. We were building a movement that can combat patriarchy and homophobia and transphobia. We we're building a movement that can have an honest conversation about climate change. We we're building a movement that can have an honest conversation about what justice really looks like to our communities. We we're building a movement that was unapologetic about being abolitionist. Okay, I want to say a few things about that, then get your take. There's a lot in that clip, but worldwide movement, worldwide communist. She's a Marxist. That sounds a lot like that her. is Marxism. That's what I was saying. Yeah. Um, intersectionality came in there. Climate change came in there. Notice how she roped in every single progressive issue that Indivisible also furthers. That. Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez also furthers just under the guise of Black Lives Matter. So it's the same issue with a different branding. And she kept using the phrase Black Lives Matter. It was used here. It was used there. I think that's very telling to say it was used. It was used because that's what it is. It is being used to further agendas that were already in place, that were already being pushed that are not specific to Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter is the vehicle that's being used. And these organizations were set up, trained, and already in place and ready to pounce before we ever heard of George Floyd. Yes, and they they have used it for climate change. I've seen articles, climate change, health, COVID, all of these things affect different communities differently. I would say almost always when you apply these things to a different demographic, it's really very rarely is it racial so much as it's economic, which was the, the foundation of Marxism. And it, and that, I think, makes it important for them because they want it to be identity-based, race-based. Yeah. I think it must be very important for people who want to use this stuff as a lever forever to make sure that the economic problems are always disproportionately affecting people of color because they that's where that's where a lot of these stats come in that if you actually pull out the economic factor or broken families you don't really have the disparities that you that you that you see, you see a lot of those disparities for, for for correlated reasons, not causal reasons. And I'm wondering, I mean, it's it's so obvious that it's so ripe for gun control to be a major, major part of this, but they haven't hit that yet, have they? 
I haven't seen them hit gun control. That's interesting to see if they will, because a lot of the protests, not a lot of them, but some of the protesters have guns. So that would come into conflict. But they are pretty good at rationalizing the conflict. They have hit on here how to get people to jump on board. Well, not jump on board to submit and go along with this progressive agenda for fear of being branded a white nationalist or a racist. Otherwise, people wouldn't do it. If you can get people to be okay and support the climate change agenda just because they don't want to lose their advertisers or they don't want to be branded a white nationalist, then they can do anything. This race issue is a powerful way to manipulate people. Yes, and by starting out without bringing all the ideology and all the issues into it and make it just those three words, say those words and own those words and if you don't, you're an asshole. And I understand why people are like, you know what, if you are an asshole, if you don't think that black lives matter, that's just stupid. That's just fucking stupid. And it's been stupid for all time to not think that human lives matter, no matter how small or big or color or anything like that. But then they bring all that other stuff into it. Yeah. Now that it's that it's kind of that it's an on off switch. It really it's a, is it's brilliant. A, an imprimatur. It's going to be like a vax tat. Yeah, right. So that's what it is. You got to show that you. Yeah, you got to show your tat. Yeah, and I feel like the gun issue. Maybe this is a tell, which I've suspected for a long time. Like abortion, they don't really, they don't care about the guns because we're not. I don't think we're winning a gunfight at this point. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So. If people keep their guns, you always that what is the one justification when you see somebody shot by a cop? What is the one thing that shuts everybody up? Guy had a gun. Great point. Yeah, so they that's can a great point. if everybody has a crappy little gun that is not going to save their life. Not that. But if, if cops have if they they're sooner to ban bulletproof vests than guns. Yeah. Right. Because if everybody has a gun and only the cops have the bulletproof vests. Everything they want to ban just increases the level of conflict and danger. You know? Like Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, they 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 know what they're doing. Yeah. That's why the devil's in the details. It really is a brilliant strategy from the standpoint of these manipulators tying in, tying together this phrase that is universal truth black lives matter tying it together with this organization that is now bound up in all these progressive agendas that have been put that have been being pushed anyway that everybody who's saying black lives matter not everybody but a lot of people would mm-hmm. never have gone with prior to this i read a book from the mid 20th century called peace from the people who brought you vietnam and korea something like that yeah i've heard it of was, that book it was all, well, I've talked about it before. Yeah, I'm guessing yeah. that I'm the only person who's ever mentioned it. It was, I can't remember the guy's name. But he talked about, this was from like the 50s, I think, and it was the UN he was objecting to. He said, You're, that treaty is unconstitutional, and if we don't stand up and object to it, we're going to have to live with it because there's a lot of reliance on that. And if you don't stand up against an unjust contract, you can be bound by it over time. Yeah. Anyway, he said in that book that, this unconquerable weapon will be 
race, that they will be able to change every country every for reasons other than what he was saying is they will use race as a weapon not to help any people, but just to to concentrate the power and the money at the top. And that that was going to be the new the new weapon. And if it is the most powerful tool that the powerful can get, which I talked about on the show recently, that they they struggle so hard to maintain this hierarchy, which is really obsolete. And in the report from Iron Mountain, they talk about de- despised minorities as being the foundation of this. So it's it is yeah. true. I mean, it is true. It's being used, but it's being used by people on both sides in order to stand on the backs and shoulders of the people who are getting manipulated by it and hurt by it. And, and that's their why lives it's being stay that way. changed forever because of it. The and it's not. Yeah. It's not. It is absolutely. Not to resolve the problem. No, they don't. If they resolve the problem, they need the problems. They would lose all of their power. If voter suppression didn't exist, if Stacey Abrams solved that, she would lose the issue that she has been made the champion of for at least the past six or seven years. Look, the report from Iron Mountain was about how do we maintain this hierarchy without the threat of war? We are losing the threat of war because nukes has done exactly what Tesla said they would do or something like this would do. And everybody's just packing heat. So we have the most peaceful world ever because if everybody has nukes, nobody is going to have a war. If everybody has nukes, there's a peaceful world and they needed other forms of terror and fear to maintain the hierarchy. And they identify a euphemized form of slavery they identify exploiting the fears of a despised minority, enhancing those feelings. Mm-hmm. So they they are the they, whoever is running the show here, knows darn well that they it's like it's it's like Stacey Abrams's internships. They're globalist. Marxism yeah. was basically run by bankers who saw the writing on the wall and needed a system to replace the system that people weren't going to tolerate anymore, but they were still going to tap it at the top. Yeah. I have one more clip from the co-founder of Black Lives Matter, and then I have some clips from that indivisible training I've been telling you about that really shows you how they really just start warping reality and flipping it on its head like in 1984. But there was an audio from a podcast that the that patrice was on a few weeks ago that i found but i wasn't able to pull the actual clip from the website it wouldn't let me download it but what she says in that podcast that i found very interesting which we had talked about already because you could see it happening was she said that the police officers can do nothing it does she was saying that it doesn't matter what we do they can do nothing without looking horrible so she was talking about the power they have gained through all of this. What podcast was that? This was, it was a podcast. I think it was an NPR podcast that was like- I two, thought that's what you said. Yeah, two weeks ago that Patrice was on talking about the movement, talking about how Black Lives Matter has gained so much power and done what they've done in this moment. They literally in this moment. And the emphasis on the cops can do nothing to us. They can't do a thing because- Everybody will make them look bad no matter what? what they do. That goes right to what you're saying. That's a terrible message to tell people that have no freaking power. They have no name. The cops are going, to, they'll be back. 
Yeah, they are, yeah, and you tell they're people go- they're coming back. That and that is like I, they I, I'm can thinking do about stuff. liability. You tell people the cops can do nothing. People listening to this, they go, "Well, the cops can do nothing. I can break all the laws they want." Yet they're still tracking you. You end up in jail because you follow the advice of this organizer. And not not that they want to break the laws. Even it's that they're being. That's what's being modeled. Yeah, and I guarantee that's what you, it looks like you're supposed to do. Yeah. Guarantee you she ain't out there breaking the laws. She ain't out there throwing rocks in windows, setting buildings on fire because she knows that it's going to come back on people. Here's the last clip from Patrice. This is a long clip. You can ask me to stop it at any point if you want. The reason I'm playing all of it is because I think it's important because this is an example of mind control. That's the best way that I can put this. She illustrates in this clip how you can get one of the challenges with organizing and building a an organizational weapon is how do you get a bunch of people with conflicting interests and conflicting wants that come into clash with each other underneath one umbrella pushing the same message and the same agenda how do you do that without them falling apart and fighting well this shows you one of the ways that they do this what she does here is she starts to talk about what they're building with the Black Lives Matter movement. She talks about we and us and together we're doing this and what we want, our vision of the future. And then she says, or she does, and um, she leads them on a guided facilitation, a guided imaginary facilitation. And this is hypnosis. I'm going to play it. Just listen, and then we'll talk about it more after. And you can ask me to stop at any point in time if you want to comment. Part of our work, all of us in this room, is not just about tearing things down. We know that. But what are we building? And what are we building towards? And so I just want to ask the audience for a couple minutes to humor me. Close your eyes. Put your hands on your legs or beside you. And take a moment to imagine that we are living in a different time. To imagine that we are living in a moment where all of our needs are met. Every single human being that we interact with is not suffering. Instead, we are led with joy and take it a step further and imagine what you would want your community to look like, what it would sound like. Listen to those sounds, honor them, and take it a step further and imagine what would be built around your community. Imagine that every single jail and prison no longer has a place there. And instead, there are homes for everyone, community for everyone, good, healthy food for everyone. And take it a step further and imagine that healthcare is no longer a big business. (laughs) That we have now entered a world where we get our physical and emotional and spiritual needs met. That we, yes, can go to professionals, but we also have access to parts of us that know how to heal ourselves. 
and take it a step further, where women no longer have to fight for autonomy of our bodies, where folks who are trans survive past 35. And just hold that right now in this moment. Hold that feeling. Hold how special that vision is. And as you slowly open your eyes, take the time every single day to remember that vision, to remember why we fight so hard. We're not fighting so hard because we want to fight so hard. We're fighting so hard because we have a vision. We have a vision for what we deserve, for what every single human being, animal being, plant being deserves. And when you think about Black Lives Matter, when you think about the movement that has been created over the last five years, remember that our movement is about imagining, imagining a world where black folks are actually free. Imagining a world where the word poverty is a past tense. Imagining a world where we don't need handcuffs or shackles any longer. Imagining a world that we all deserve to live in. Thank you so much. Okay, I know that was a long clip. The tone, the pacing, the delivery, the use of the specific types of word. This is guided imagery. We used to do this in improvisational comedy to warm up. And there's a very specific thing that she is doing here. Towards the end, she starts saying, remember that vision every day. We have a vision, the vision we are furthering. But what she was doing was... It sounded like she was talking about the vision of the Black Lives Matter organization that everybody agrees upon, that they are together going after in pursuit of. Yet what was really happening is she was saying a bunch of vaguely defined things and a bunch of utopian promises that don't really have much meaning to it. And what she was guiding each individual in that room to do through this technique was for them to picture and personalize their image of what this future is. So every person in that room had their eyes closed and was picturing something very, very different from everybody else in the room, yet it felt to them like everybody was picturing the same thing. This is a pathway to disillusionment, but this is also how you unite conflicting forces underneath one umbrella. And when this moves forward, eventually what will happen is some of these internal pictures that people formed here tonight will start to come out. They'll realize it's in conflict with some of the other pictures people have, and they'll realize the organizer is not actually trying to pursue what they themselves wanted. And regardless of how much they've invested and put into this movement, if they say anything about it, if they complain about it at all, they will be purged. So they better shut up when it happens and fall in line. This is a insidious technique, and she's very good at it. Well, I was focusing on the content, but I understand what you're saying, and I am not 
I am not familiar at all with any of that stuff. And I really don't even know about the, I, I don't know the details of the psychology of these kind of utopian promises. I will say that when you were talking about that idea that this is people projecting their, what that, what all of that means to them. She was, there were some specifics I want to hit, but the way you described it is exactly how I've always described Obama. And I have Trump as a different one, but Obama has that used to have in my mind, that psychic paper that Dr. Who Mm -hmm. has. So he holds up this blank piece of paper and you project onto that paper, what he's telling you it says, and only you can do it. And Obama used to do that. There was nothing there, but hope and change. He never did a single vote in the Senate. And then I think, I think that's true, close to that anyway. And then Trump does the opposite where he shows you a piece of paper that says everything on it and <laughs> yeah. you just see what it is that you, what it, what you want it to mean to you. And the other side sees the other stuff and people don't understand how you don't see what they see. Yeah. So I got all that and I agree. I mean, I, I've seen those techniques in action. This is kind of new to me, but... What she's saying, first of all, she said, let's imagine we're in a different time. And I just thought to myself, if we're really talking about Black Lives Matter, I immediately started going back in history, a different time. You know, you picture people on horseback with these long skirts. And I was just like, that was a very fucked up time. <laughs> yeah. you know, that is the worst thing I would want to think if I were an African-American in this country. But... What she's there are two things I have to say about the things that she's saying. She said, where our needs are met, where there's no suffering, where the, we're led with joy, led with joy. Uh, People yeah, are leading us. Yeah. People are leading us. Not that we we move with joy. We are led with joy. There's no jails. It sounded like the brave new world. Where right. You're just, you know, taking Soma or whatever it is. Then she talks about how in this place, there are no jails and prisons. There are homes for all. This There's is, food for all. This is the mountaintop that they'll never reach that Solinsky talks about. But I have real specifics here. This is, she says, we want healthcare. We want physical, spiritual, and emotional resources. Yeah. We want all this stuff. And it goes to what we were talking about in, an, I think, an episode of the show about the people. I know you say Antifa is all about no police, and I understand that. But there is a movement of black abolitionists who want to abolish the police, want to abolish jails and prisons. And it all, and, and what they talk about, and it's also this same exact vision, which is the reason we have jails and prisons is that people do not have the food or emotional resources or whatever. Okay. That is, there is some truth to that in specific cases, absolutely for sure. And it could be the majority of the cases. And I would say that this very sick technocratic society is the reason for that. And I want to touch on that. And then there's another thing, which is that that is not all there is. So everybody is sick in this technocratic society. And my, everybody who's taking Prozac is somebody who this society is hard to manage. And that's like everybody. But they're not all in jail. So some people are in jail because they are that far gone for those reasons. But don't forget, 
this is this is this idea that human nature isn't what it is. And this is the difference between left and right, in my opinion. This is the difference between the individualist and the collectivist. Is that human nature, it seems to me, human nature is immutable. If a new baby were born in the middle of nowhere and popped around in different times or places, that would not be a new man. It's not born with the new chip in its head. It's a baby. Now, if they start with genetic modification, I can't <laughs> speak to that. But this is so what we have is desires we have desires to satisfy our needs and our desires to satisfy our wants and we also most of us i would say want to get the most of that stuff that feels good by doing the least of that stuff that feels bad and that stuff that feels bad is called work yeah and if and that's why we have even if you don't have all this other stuff, work is suffering. When you it, when you grow your food, your hands are going to hurt. They're going to be raw at the end of the day. Their work is what causes the suffering. And then what some people want to do because they want more than they can produce is they want to talk you out of yours. That's yeah. the political means. Or they want to steal it. That's a criminal means. So that, what she's describing is this earthly dynamic, this human dynamic that allows us to be independent, to function independently. I've always said this. My mother said, why did God create AIDS and mosquitoes? Now, we've we've since morphed our idea, transformed our idea of AIDS. She's like, why did God make mosquitoes? And I said, well, you have to have, think if God doesn't want to intervene in everything that we're doing, he has to give us a certain amount of autonomy. And for a system to work like that, it has to have flexibility and adaptability. So you're going to have to have these, the, and it's going to cause some pain. You make mistakes, you have free will, you're going to have transitions. Unless you want God to interfere in every little thing you're going to chafe at the edges. You're going to have to learn. You're going to have some pain. You're going to want more and it's going to take more to get it. And what she's talking about, I'm bringing it full circle right here, is a totally controlled technocratic society in line with that fourth industrial revolution. And that is the shit that causes the emotional damage that she's saying we need resources to address. She's saying there's probably a place where you can address your own emotional things but we really need those resources you don't everything she was saying is like you would not have these problems if you had true genuine human physical autonomy most of the stuff would go away but she's recommending she's pointing to the only answer which is that centrally controlling force that will provide everything for you and make sure you get your soma and it's going to be that fourth industrial revolution i think this really brings that all together that's interesting that's very interesting do you think anybody who was closing their eyes and picturing their individualized future ideal future do you think they were picturing a fully controlled technocratic society i don't and i think that's the trick right there see she knows what she's saying they don't realize what she's saying and that individual picture that each person has in their head is their primary motivator for showing up to these protests thinking that everybody's in unison not realizing that they're actually furthering the goal of this future technocratic fully controlled society and then she goes to where I really think it's a problem where she says, why this is why we fight so hard, not because we want to fight, not because we like to fight, but because we have a vision for whatever human being, animal and plant deserves. So here's the complete flaw 
in what she's saying, except for that she's fighting with me to impose the fourth industrial revolution. That's what the fight is. But I know that. And you're saying most people don't know that. Whom do they think they're fighting? Do they feel like they, so she said she, that people deserve it. She didn't say they earned it. And I'm, I'm taking race completely out of this. She didn't, she's not saying what people earn. She's saying what people deserve. So why do they deserve it? Because it was really there. So then you go back to say, okay, this country was built on slavery and anyone who has anything owes it back to that. But my ancestors have a different story Mm -hmm. and people have these different ancestry that people used to call my show all the time. This is a common thing that people would say is I am descended from slaves and slave owners. And that's a sad reality. Yeah. But it just goes to set to show that you cannot, you cannot write that. These are human beings with that history. You cannot change that history. And these are people, self-respecting people I really admire. So you don't want to change their, who they are. But who are you fighting? Whom are you fighting? Are you fighting me for what I really earned? Are you, are you really fighting Bill Gates who, probably was put in this position of immense wealth so that he could cram this thing down on us. Who is it that they're fighting? And, and are they taking something back? And this is just the the lie in the whole thing. And this is where I am. And I got it from the protests and I got it from the Corona times. And from you and Bellamy talking about moving the goalpost, you can't fight for it. You just have to, you, well, I'm probably going to have to fight for property rights because I'm going to want to eat the cherries off of the tree I grow. But you really can only have what you have power over. Otherwise, you're fighting and you're fighting for this thing, which you're fighting someone to give you this. And what that is, is is a a biologically altered human being that is plugged in to a technocratic system. That's what the vision is. That's a, that's fantastic. I I hadn't. I was thinking about the techniques she was using, but that is exactly like that fits right in with the way that I've been thinking about this. The agenda of the people organizing these masses is so be not. I'm not saying beyond their understanding, just beyond what they've ever thought about because they haven't studied this stuff and they they're kept so emotional and. They keep it so base and tribal that they think it's something else that they're fighting for. And you said something about I doubt she knows it. I doubt she'll watch Fourth Industrial Revolution video and think that it's what she's talking about. You could be right. She said abolitionist in a clip I played earlier. She said that we're proud to be unapologetic abolitionist. I think that I don't think she was talking about police when she said that. I think that she was talking about slavery because when she finished up this comment here this clip so first she said and and we're unapologetic abolitionists everybody claps abolitionists wanting to end slavery in my mind i think she was implying that we are all still enslaved by our opposition and in this clip she finishes this clip we will truly finally have freedom from that slavery so to imply to the people that are training if i'm correct in in this is implying and teaching that you are still enslaved and you are fighting to break the chains. You know what it's a slave what the, what we are all slaves to? 
we are all slaves to desire. Mm -hmm. And that's when you go to the yoga stuff. And I used to read read the Swami Sachi Dananda, the Patanjali, the, the sutras, the yoga sutras of Patanjali. The answer is very simple. The answer to all, to the answer to having all of your desire satisfied, there's only one answer. It's yoga's answer, and it's like my mom's Catholic answer. Can I guess? And yes, have no desires. Yes. Yeah. You. That's the only answer. And what she's saying is the things that you want are all reasonable, physical desires. And they should be satisfied. It's almost, I am not going to put this on her. I'm absolutely not going to put this on her. But I also used to read, uh, what was the guy? Krishnamurti. Krishnamurti was a guru kind of guy. And he got too dark. He was like, there's no such thing as love. Well, love is selfish. I understand that. But in a glorious way and not in a sinister way. Yeah. Then I dug deeper into his backstory and he was considered to be the kind of messiah of the, of the theosophical society of the Luciferians. Is that the devil worshipers? Mm, I mean, it's the Lucifer's trust. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if they worship. The, yeah. Yes. I'm not sure they even believe in the devil as a person. Yeah. But it's absolutely like, that's for reals. And he pushed, pulled away from it. He broke with them. He would not fulfill their desire for him to be that. But that whole scene is about God is not good because he gave us all these desires and then he either made us work for them or he told us that we couldn't satisfy our every whim. Why would you make me lust after that woman and then not let me take her? So that's why they say the the beginning and end or whatever the only rule is to do as thou wilt which of course does not work at all because that woman does not want to be raped or a thousand people want to rape her and they can't all rape her at once that's a problem it's a big problem so i'm just saying that as you what to say that your desires that you deserve to have all of your desires satisfied and at the same time have no pain. Work is pain. So it just it just circles back to this idea that it's it's wrong, it's evil. So like the Catholic thing is like I have Catholics I know who say suffering is good. Suffering is good. Yeah. I don't I don't subscribe to that. But if you think that it's not okay to have to suffer at all in this life, you're not going to grow and you're not going to create. Yeah. And it's the creation that keeps us alive. Yeah. That, that physically that it sparks and mentally. from that suffering. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. Great. Not, point. not because suffering is good, but just that it is work is painful. Like that's why it's in the garden of Eden story. You get a new perspective it's too. painful. Yeah. But I'm just saying it's just fucking painful to lift shit up yeah. and to plant them. You know what I'm saying? And that it's just, it's consequential. It's not even a punishment. It's just the fact that your muscles kind of hurt a little bit when they break and reform and then they're stronger. Yeah. But that's what it takes to get that taproot out of that stump. Yeah. And the thing about these desires is, they're mostly materialistic in the way that they're exploited by propaganda anyway. These materialistic desires 
many of them only exist in the context of our times. People want things that other people have that has been promoted to them by the media. Edward Bernays totally exploited consumerism. He was all about, you need to create desires within people and you can sell them your product and make millions and string them along forever. This is something that can never, it's an impossible goal because new desires are always created by the propagandist. And this brings me back to where we started about the materialism. Mm -hmm. It's all about the materialism. They have it. They brought it to China. They brought it to us. Is Marx, is dialectical materialism actual materialism? I don't know. But that is what we are of one tribe. We are materialist consumers. That is the American culture. And that's why you could actually have open borders if you didn't have a safety net because everybody is going to show up to get to get the job or whatever it takes to get the stuff it's just this constant stream of wanting stuff and yeah. and and to teach people and that is actually a real problem with having the welfare and everything and giving people the idea that the universal basic income that there is a baseline of necessities that we should have been born with a lifetime supply of our necessities. Yeah. You know, there just should be. And to tell you the truth, there kind of would be. Nature. If we had all been, yeah, if we had all, permaculture is the Garden of Eden yeah. from what I'm gathering. And when I look at, when I go to England and I see houses that were built, regular, just crappy little houses that people are living in, three-story flats, whatever, which three apartments that are built in 1600 because they were built of bricks. I always think that I'm like, why aren't, I mean, so all the buildings have basically been built and we just keep tearing them down and building them over again. Is that what I'm getting? I mean, the earth is basically made of bricks. We could just build, you know, if everybody just built one house, then <laughs> yeah. you'd only have to buy, build houses for right. the next, for the new people. Uh, I'm just saying that, yes, it's true. And what it what has sucked up all that wealth is this centralized system. And this fourth industrial revolution is the next generation of that. And I believe it might be the inescapable one because they're going to actually alter us and the earth physically so that we can never get that back. Some transhumanism. The thing about these desires, too, is because the new desires continue to come, it's an impossible goal to continue to match the desires that pop up and exist. So you will never be able to have everything that you desire that you see that other people have. So therefore, the solution of communism, you must prevent other people from getting the things that you desire so that nobody has it so that everybody's equal. That, yes, that is all, all, make all the rich poor so there yeah. are no rich no more. The thing, I when I look at those things and I watch that movie, the Bruce Willis movie, Surrogate, which is kind of timely, and then I watch the Fourth Industrial Re- Revolution video, which has people walking around with artificial limbs that are light as a feather. So you have human beings being human beings, but are highly cyborg-y. And I think to myself, if you have an implant in your head or a VR or whatever, if you have that kind of stuff that can trick you into thinking you're experiencing something or satisfying reality and you've eliminated a lot of the physical body so that it's you're just like a brain on a stick kind of mm-hmm. with this stuff, you need very few calories. So then – and they're not going to let you reproduce. So then you pull away from actually having to satisfy any of those needs. These needs are are actually – in her imaginary world, 
you can just imagine it. And we have the Matrix. That's exactly what I just thought to myself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. just plug that right in. Actually, they could use this to generate the, yeah. okay. the system. So that was the, more. one of the that co-founders of the Black end, Lives Matter. I and I actually more. do have more stuff from her. I just don't have it for this show. What I want to move on to right now is I want to take you behind the scenes to one of these indivisible activist trainings to show you how they flip reality on its head and what they're telling these organizers or these uh, new members and these people who are learning to do what they do. And the members of these groups see these people teaching these trainings as authority figures. We have to keep that in mind. So they're learning from what they perceive to be their mentors because you can read the comments. They have the live chat comments in there. They, they love these guys. They love these ideas and they're very convoluted. This training was about how to be basically a, an ally, how to live an anti-racist, how, how to be an anti-racist, how to live that lifestyle. I'll just, I, I'm going to dive in. This first clip here, she tells the whole purpose of the activism, the training, she rationalizes things for them. And a major theme that you're going to see emerge from these clips is that it's okay to violently protest anyone who says otherwise does not understand and you should question them. You should question them if they question your use of violence. That is a theme. Here's the first clip. This woman's name is Nora. I can't find her last name. She's one of the trainers that always pop up in their training videos, which are so bad, but they're so eye-opening too. Protest has a deep history, like I just mentioned, but a couple of key points. First, uh, what's considered peaceful versus violent evolves over time. Uh, just to take one example, some people on the call tonight may be familiar with the women's suffrage movement. Uh, and as it turns out, many of those women known as the suffragettes were viewed as anarchists or even terrorists during the early 1900s. Now, in a lot of cases, they're viewed as feminist heroes. Uh, I do want to flag that some feminist movements led by white women uh, such as women's suffrage, historically did exclude women of color. So I bring them up not to overly pedestalize them, but to make the point that our ideas of acceptable protest change over time. And we might be surprised to learn just what kinds of actions our heroes took to effectively make change. Another core example, um, I noticed that at times of highly visible racial justice, injustice in the 21st century, um, it's pretty common for folks to post or talk or even kind of grandstand sometimes about the peaceful protests led by Martin Luther King Jr. in the 60s. Um, at that time, many of those protests were considered acts of aggression, and Martin Luther King himself was arrested 37 times. Uh, meanwhile, these days, white people sometimes make the mistake of using quotes from Martin Luther King to justify their own inaction, or sometimes even as a weapon to shut down conversation or gaslight Black activists about their methods. My point is, if you find yourself wanting this moment in history to be different than what it looks like and specifically more comfortable, try bringing a little skepticism to that yearning for comfort. And as always, keep learning about our history. Okay, there's some really juicy things in there. First of all, it sounds to me like she's basically saying ideas of acceptable protest have changed over time so go be violent and you could be a hero in a hundred years and then she goes on to say these white people and it's not just white people 
It's it's people who believe in peaceful protest. These white people who are using MLK's quotes about peaceful protest, telling you, I mean, it's white people using ML, MLK quotes about peaceful protest is racist gaslighting against black protests. That's the most convoluted, twisted thing I've heard in my life. Well, they're trying to tear that statue down. Absolutely. And she's not the only one. I heard this on CNN. Similar similar thoughts. Wow, that really makes me want to cry. Like, I, I'm literally choked up at the idea. I mean, I just, I feel like if the, all the people who were slaughtered in the 60s, I think, I think half of them were. I mean, JFK was obviously an insider, and that's probably true for most of them. But I firmly believe that every single one of those people who were killed, Malcolm X, MLK, JFK, RFK, I think it's because they would have actually solved this problem. And that's the last thing that the people at the top want. They want the problem to go on and on. You're right. I mean, that's why, isn't that why Tupac was killed? I don't know. Have you heard that? No. Yeah, that he was going to the gangs and he was saying, this is stupid. What are you doing? It makes no sense. Like, let's use this energy and our smarts and everything for positive change. Let's resolve the issue. That I think that's pretty much well established. Yeah. Gaslight, to read the definition again, is to manipulate someone by psychological means into questioning their own sanity. And her use of that, white people who quote MLK's quotes on peaceful protest, they're simply doing that in an attempt to gaslight black activists. That's extraordinary. I doubt out of all the people quoting MLK, people are saying, oh, here's my strategy to gaslight. I'm going to quote MLK on peaceful protesting. It sounds sounds like what she's doing is telling people not to listen to their own consciences yeah. So she said, this makes you uncomfortable when people point something out about someone you admire as making this ideological point. They are trying to confuse you. Yes, they're trying to conf- they're trying to split their consciousness. What's his name? She's saying that people who quote MLK are trying to confuse you, but she's telling you yeah. that you need to not think like those people in the thoughts they thought, but think like them in pushing the envelope. But that's where subjectivism, objectivism comes in. They were objectively right. And their words should can stand up to scrutiny and evaluation. And if hers can't, if hers can't stand up to MLK's words, she's got a problem and they can't. Yeah. This tells me that people were spreading MLK's message and probably still are maybe on the ground in these protests. And it was people were taking it to heart. We should maybe do it this way. And they're trying to put an end to that because there is a coordinated campaign going on right now to not necessarily discredit, but to prevent people from following MLK's message like this here. And Stacey Abrams. Stacey said the MLK thing in that clip. Yeah, she and Malcolm X. Always loved Malcolm X. I loved that he had personal growth. I love that he found the truth, that he would not stop seeking the truth, even though he knew what it would cost him, I think. And they don't ever, I mean, he was a righteous dude and he was scary. He scared people. She could have used 
him as an example, but I think they really want to bury him because I think it's harder to to say that he I just I feel like he's rather inspiring and courageous. Yeah. And that he's just not somebody they want you to dig too deep in because he's about growth. He's about not stopping before he finds the truth. That was his that was the lesson of his life, in my opinion. Isn't that what being human is, is we make choices we learn, we make bad choices, we make good choices, we grow and we evolve. The human experience is one of complexity. It's one of emerging from the ashes. It's not one of you, you're either pristine and perfect your entire life or you're evil your entire life. How about going back to the Patrice thing where it's basically about laying on your back and having a feeding tube while somebody whatever. Yeah. I was going to get vulgar, but I'm not going to get vulgar now. So yeah. never mind. <laughs> All right, so she goes on, and the theme here continues of violence is okay. She hits this theme over and over again so that what they provide them, Solinsky talks about, I might have read this quote the other day, I can't remember, but he talks about how the most powerful thing in your toolbox is the human ability to rationalize the actions that they are taking. And you can exploit that and get people to rationalize anything and they can feel that what they're doing is moral and just, even if from maybe an objective perspective, it might be vile. And I think that that's part of what she's doing here is giving them ways to rationalize the use of violence. I agree. Um, last but not least in this section, I want to share a couple popular images about protests and to talk about why they're popular. So this is a pretty common meme. A lot of people might have seen it before. It shows the quote, uh, why can't they protest peacefully? And then a couple of other images of cases of what a lot of folks. What she's doing is she's showing memes on the right that people are going to confront the activists with. She's preparing them for the arguments and the memes that people are going to throw at them so they know how to respond when it happens. And she's showing the memes up on the screen while she's talking. There were peaceful protests that were that received a lot of really strong um, criticism from dominant white voices when they happened. And the next, in contrast, um, is an image you might have seen going around from the recent stay at home protests. Um, this one specifically, I believe, from the state capitol in Michigan. And I think why it's gone around so much and why people find it powerful or meaningful is that it shows what a lot of us might view as an aggressive moment on the part of. Um, a white man as he leans in toward the police with no. It's a protester standing in front of a police officer screaming violently while the pre police officer stands there stone faced, not being affected by it. The, the, the photo is showing the protester to be radical and the police officer to be calm. By the way, um, and the police remain at least seemingly in this moment unperturbed and uh, and not not moving in a direction of harming him in response. So again, my point is, it's important to be skeptical of the yearning for peaceful protest, especially from... I'm going to play that again, so you can really let that soak in. Can I, Okay. Go ahead, okay. Say, say something if you want. I just, I would like to to apply this to COVID lockdown protests. Can you hold that thought? It's got about 15 more seconds. <laughs> yes. This, yeah, but yes, I would love to hear that. I just this quote: "Be skeptical of the people who are yearning for peaceful protest, but not be skeptical of the person 
telling us to be skeptical of people who want peace? I mean, this is just backwards to me. And she's saying it so matter of fact and so innocently. And not not moving in a direction of harming him in response. So again, my point is, it's important to be skeptical of the yearning for peaceful protest, especially from those of us who haven't been harmed by police violence as directly, because the permission to be peaceful or violent gets distributed in very different ways to different people in this country. Okay, before you go into that, I want to go back to what I was talking about at the very beginning. I've mentioned it throughout. There's people watching this who are getting the okay right here. Oh, it's okay to use violence because the use of peaceful means gets distributed unequally and they don't understand. So I can use violence and it's okay. If somebody goes out and they let themselves be violent during a protest because of what they hear from this woman who is not a lawyer, who is not a police officer, and they end up getting themselves hurt or killed or they end up in jail or they commit a felony that might lead to them being in prison for the rest of their lives or for decades. It is because of this girl telling them it's okay without any regard for what the law is and for what the consequences for the people who follow this horrible advice is i remember when they were telling that to the parkland kids the parkland kids and other people were telling kids all over don't worry about breaking the rules but i have a lot of comments what system is she proposing that could result in a permanent change what she's looking for is an end to this injustice so I, I just, I, I pull it back a little bit and I say, okay, this stuff is all getting completely disconnected from the legitimate arguments of the left, say during the original civil rights or whatever in the 60s. So peace, love, an end to poverty, an end to inequality, all that, all that stuff, but real fundamental problems were being identified and addressed in a superior way from the existing system with a path forward that if that system were adopted, justice, no different laws for different races, strict property rights being, uh, or property rights being respected for people of color, women, stuff like that, equal vote, all these things, that was a system that could be applied evenly, that everyone could agree to, defend, implement, use, understand, predict, access. If she's saying, go out there and abandon those principles, what is it that she is suggesting they will gain from this and how will they hold on to it? Do you understand the question I'm trying to ask? Maybe I don't understand how to, I just help me see past that. It, it talk, just seems what is she what were the protesters going to gain from or the activists? She's yeah, she's saying go and punch a cop in the face. Yeah. Let's just say. Okay, what what's the plan? The plan that they're, they're not what they're talking about here is they are this is strictly training. This is on the ground training. This is how you do whatever they talk about their bigger goals are and indivisible you get the emails, the progressive agenda, the indivisible agenda is the exact same as the Black Lives Matter agenda. It's the same. But what is that? Is Is it laws? I don't think it's laws. Sometimes they push these messaging bills. What I think it is, is I think for the organizers, 
just like the organizers of Black Lives Matter, I think it's about build, continuing to grow and build this organizational weapon that they can use to hammer their opposition now and in the future. Did you ever read the very long book, A Man in Full? It was about Atlanta, Tom Wolfe. No. It was good. It was a little bit ahead of its time, I think, but it was really good. If I recall correctly, maybe I'm a different person now, but I seem to recall it was good. And and I and I think the guy was maybe modeled after Jesse Jackson. There there have been people who were exposed as doing this. They take the power to trigger a, a mob situation or unrest or fear or even a garbage strike. And they use that for their own give my brother this this contract yeah. or I want this appointment or give me money. Union guys do it. That's maybe a better example. So it's possible that simply being able to trigger crowds in this way has the political power that whoever is paying her knows how to use. But for me, I just I do not know how you can accept this tactic without understanding the strategy and the goal. I don't either. It seems so backwards and so convoluted that it might be we talk about the Nigerian prince scheme where they leave a bunch of misspellings and stuff in there so that they get the they get a hot they get a live one they can manipulate. We could, I mean we're reaching a point here this is like 2 plus 2 is 5 serious backwards brainwashing stuff but people who will accept this rationale will accept just about anything that these organizers tell them to do and the bigger this organization the more influence they have i mean it's powerful when you have a mass of people worldwide like black lives matter does now and a small collection of people organizing them that can direct these mobs to do their bidding for them they have lots of freaking power and they're going to want people who accept logic like this because they'll do anything oh that's very interesting i'll tell you i'll tell you i think after hearing her hypnosis thing that it's about I mean that's the only world that you could possibly have that is that a world that is completely controlled yeah and the only way to have that is to merge the biological needs with the biological means yeah and that is what they're doing I mean I really think that's what it's about and but there are interim steps. I mean, this nationalizing the police, th- this violence is going to yield this these laws. They're just laws. I mean, that's that's the thing that I'm saying. I mean, they're really just the only cha- they're they're. I don't think they're really tearing down the way that we create and enforce laws in this country or in the world. I don't think they're really tearing that down. But if they were tearing it down, what do they think? How is it going to? I'm an anarcho capitalist. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. I'm, I have a plan. <laughs> you know, I have a plan. Society self ordering, it requires strict defensive property rights, which you can take into your own hands. You don't need anybody's permission. You don't have to fight for it. You don't have to beg for it. You take it into your own hands. And if everybody does that and everybody kind of has to do it because there is no apparatus that's going to change that. You get what you want, which is you protect your farm and you grow your potatoes and you trade it with the guy across the street who's doing the avocados. Yeah, there's a handful of other clips from her. We're close to the two-hour mark. I'm okay continuing yeah, to yeah, go to wrap it going. up. So here she's telling the trainees what the task of being an, an indivisible activist is. 
Pretty simple. To those of us who are non-Black, your task is to move those around you. Again, especially white people and non-Black people of color, move them away from internalized racism toward anti-racist action. Okay. Move them away from internalized racism towards anti-racist action. What is anti-racist action? What is internalized racism for non-black you're, you're people find of color? Out. You're gonna we're all racist and we will always be racist. That that is kind of the theme that's coming Can out. Can black people be racist? Is Clarence Thomas racist? By the definitions that they use, I do not think so. I think that the definition that they operate on is that only people yeah. who have structural power in a system um, can be racist. But non-black people of color are some they of the treat, they treat, most powerless people in this country. They don't even speak yeah, the language. Yeah. Okay, now here she... All right, she kind of defines anti-racism right here. Um, so there's a lot of different definitions of anti-racism, and I encourage you to read as many as you can find. But one I found for now that I liked is um, the active process of identifying and eliminating racism by changing systems, organi organizational structures, policies, and practices and attitudes so that power is redistributed and shared equally, equitably. Wait, what? Can, can you do that one more time? Yeah. So what we're seeing here is it's easy to see these things and see it as a passive thing. This is a very active engagement. You're being trained to be an evangelical for these these causes, for this anti- but, So they're advocating these actions, not the causes. She's, she is telling people yes. to advocate the actions. Yes, this reminds which me- Which she just okay. told people to suppress their consciences. When I was in college, there was something called campus outreach. And every summer, it was a religious thing. And every summer, they would get students who, who had been saved and they would go to the beach and they would train these students on approaching strangers and preaching the word of Jesus to these strangers, telling, testifying to their story, trying to see if they are ready to be saved and come over and join the movement. And I remember my sophomore year, some of my roommates who lived down the hall, not my roommates, some people who lived down the hall from me my freshman year had gone to one of these. And at the beginning of the school year, we would walk up out of the dorms because we could walk to the bars from where the dorms were. They would be standing right there where we always passed, preaching the word of God to us, trying to get us to stay with them and not go live in sin and not do wrong to repent and come over to their, to, to God. And that is what I see this training as. I see them doing a similar thing to these activists. This is what you're going to need to do. This is why they're telling them what people are going to say, the memes people are going to throw at them, how they are to respond to the memes, each individual meme. They even tell them in a clip here in a minute, here's how you respond when you get short-circuited, basically, when you don't know the answer. Well, a lot of the evangelical stuff is also how... I don't mean evangelical Christian. I'm just saying to evangelize, to get out there. The cults do that. Yeah. They recruit. Yep. Yeah. They definitely recruit. And I noticed something last week. Actually, I've noticed it before, but I noticed some friends of mine doing it. People are going online on social media and they're feeling compelled to make these statements. I feel I need to make a statement that I support people who are leaving this theater or who say they've been abused. I am with you. What they're doing is what Indivisible is talking about. They like I, I was after listening to this, I was like, I think one of my friends has been going to one of these trainings because his 
behavior on social media was bizarre to me, but now it makes sense. Yes. He feels that he has to amplify the mm-hmm. voices of minorities. So he goes and he takes this position. And I, I, I've seen, I've noticed a couple of people like that too. And, uh, and I, I have to say that it seems like one of the elements of this is that you have to, you have to think of yourself as part of this subgroup that's outside of the bigger group so that the morality, the ethics of the bigger group should not influence you because they are your enemy and, and that you need to take, you need to defend the inner group. There will be benefits for you. Like I'm thinking of everything from cults to religions to secret societies. You stick together. You have your morale. It's called a double ethic. You do not have to treat outside people you don't have to live by their rules and you need to suppress the urge to respect their morality as universal yeah the double ethic i haven't heard that yeah i wonder if they're allowed to aggress against each other that's a good question i I, in fact i've seen them aggress against each other on social media with something that happened here outside of the fold right they want to bring them back because they're deviating yes yeah they i get, think isn't that what the well, scientology reputation is the what scientology has that kind of a they style, yeah you will get reputation. smeared and attacked if you step out of it they want you to fall in line this is also it's the it's the concept and they're pretty open about this there is no such thing as a person who is inactive a nice person and just not a racist that does not exist you must prove that you are at least trying to not be a racist by making public statements by doing some of these behaviors george bush said it most prominently and it's absolutely trickled down to the pc police is you're with me or you're with the terrorists yeah do you want to hear this clip again Um, So there's a lot of different definitions of anti-racism, and I encourage you to read as many as you can find. But one I found... Oh, was that the wrong one? Oh, okay. This one here is one of my favorites because this... I was thinking after listening to those other clips, I was going, well, this definition of anti-racism is impossible to ever achieve by the way that you're defining it. And I get some clarity on that thought with this clip. To be clear about it right now and going forward, anti-racism is not a place that we arrive to, but a lifelong practice. It's not a place we arrive to, but a lifelong practice, a journey, just like being in a religion. So you will never achieve it, but you must always show that you are trying to. That to me is a powerful thing. But I mean, how... Can she define racism then? Because then it sounds like identity includes anti the other, that you can't, that your identity defines you as a racist and you cannot, we already established that you can't, you can't alienate yourself from your identity. That is the whole point of identity politics. So you have to spend this lifelong, it's, it's kind of like conversion therapy for gay guys yeah. like you are you're not allowed to be gay and we know you can't help it and you will never stop truly in your heart being gay 
but you're going to go through this process to try to not be gay forever. That's exactly what it is. That, I mean, that's, I think, yeah. illegal in Utah now because it was making people insane. That is exactly what this is. She made the comment earlier, going from implicit racism to explicit anti-racist actions. To me, that is implying, and I've seen this, I've seen this echoed on social media by people who are in these movements and are echoing these themes in their post, that there's nothing you can do. You're always going to have implicit racism. The only thing that you can do to be an ally is to get on this lifelong pursuit of being an anti-racist. Okay. I don't know how the brain works. I know there are impressions. You make impressions when you're a baby. You see things in a certain way. You can never abandon that. I, you, I, my guess is there are pathways that are carved that'll never change, that based on where you came from, whatever, who you are, a million, trillion, zillion things, a zillion things. But it's just like the question of whether this table is real or it's not real, feels real to me, but let's talk about whether it is really real. I have never, ever wanted to spend my time doing that. We must cultivate the positive, which is love, we must control our behavior. We must follow all the tenets of any religion, any any of the major religions, any religion that uh, appeals to good people or is the foundation of a stable society. It's about charity and it's about behavior, basically. And that's yeah. what government says it's doing for you. It's taxing you to give to the poor and it's putting you in jail for misbehaving. But religions get you to do that you do that yourself uh, by following, and then they they show you the practice. It's like you said, they show you the practice. The practice is to uh, to rid yourself of desire, or the practice is to do corporal works of mercy. I mean, religions are established with these daily practices so that you always use that touchstone. And that it's universal who we are, what the problems are between individuals, human beings, husbands and wives, people of different cultures, ethnicities, all of that stuff. It's universal. It, this is the human problem. It's just like her problem of saying, let's just lay around and envision getting fed without making food. Yeah. It's not going to happen. It's the hum it is human nature and all the things that that people who don't understand it want to tear down, all the things that these statues that are getting torn down show you is the truth of human history. I mean, you know, not the truth, truth, but like it's part of you. It is essential to understand human nature and that we don't, it's like, it's like education. I like the, the, I'm going to say the triumvirate, the, the, um, trivium, the trivium is, is a classic for its, uh, grammar, logic and rhetoric but it's oh, a classic yeah. education and it's been around for thousands of years so why wouldn't the greeks have cracked the code on that i think the greeks cracked the code on everything they cracked the code and we just need to like build those brick houses and fucking live in them yeah we need to understand the the education understand philosophy understand religion understand how to cultivate what is good in all of us it is a sin against the holy spirit to be bigoted yeah. you must you must love and attempt to love 
people, you have to do it. And it's not like I'm a holy roller. I'm just saying the answers are out there and they're positive. The answer is love. The answer is positivity. But this is Marxism. Marxism is built on conflict. Cooperation does not exist in Marxism. They, it only exists temporarily while, they, while they're getting one enemy, but the next enemy is standing right beside them. That just proves what a lie it is and how it points to power at the top because mm-hmm. you will never control the benefit of that chaos ever. No. The order that comes out of that chaos will not accrue to you. The order that comes out of the tree you plant, if you can defend it, will accrue to you. These trainers are teaching these activists that they are to devote their lives to getting on the pathway and living the, quote, anti-racist lifestyle, which is going to entail actions of all various sorts, like pushing climate change because it's racist. All of these agenda items that people might otherwise, like we talked about earlier, are going to get roped in to being, this is the anti-racist lifestyle. Push all these progressive agenda items. And people will become slaves this is because this is committing yourself to becoming a slave to something that they're telling you you will never achieve only because if you take it in the context of the other things they're not teaching you how to provide these things for yourself like the necessities of life i I just i'm getting away from what this chick's saying and going back to the other thing they are not They're telling you to fight for a world in which you don't have to do anything. (laughs) It's the craziest thing. And of course, you're going to be beholden to the people who control the Soma and the soil and green. I mean, you're going to be beholden to that system. You want to be on the inside of that system. And if your vax tat is just the shade of skin you wear, well, that's, that's something that you might be able to, you might fall for that because you think that you're always going to be protected. But I'm not sure. This chick's white, right? Yeah, they're, every person in this training is white. What do you think they're up to? It is so <laughs> ridiculous. Here, these are some of the ones, we're, we're about to get to the one where they tell them what to do when they're short-circuited. So they are very specific. They tell them how to feel. They tell them what to say. They tell them how to react. She starts talking about you're going when you're having these evangelical conversations, you're going to come across certain types of people. You're going to come across the people that are on board right away and you just got to say, great, here are the actions you can take. But then then you're going to come across some of the the difficult people, the people who question the rioting. I'll let her explain. Uh, On the other hand, you may find that some people you're talking to who are in positions of relative privilege Uh, Those who are just generally not direct targets of police violence may express possibly more concern about property damage or looting than about the historic and immediate violence that spurred these protests. Uh, Indivisibles believe, Indivisible believes it's crucial to redirect those kinds of concerns toward anti-racist perspectives and actions. Okay, so the setup there, you're going to come across people that will say, what happened was terrible. But the protesters, the rioting is also bad. So that's a problem with them. And how do we react when we come across these horrible, horrible people who have that just terrible belief? Well, we're going to hear it. And then we're also going to get a, a demonstration. They're going to do a little act. Can I ask you a question first? Yeah. What happened to the riots or not? the protesters they've gotten rid of that it, 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 there's no longer riots they're simply protesting that you're not allowed to judge 
You're not allowed to judge. And, and we're gonna, she'll, they're very explicit about that in a second. The most extraordinary clip in the whole thing, in my opinion. About two clips from now. It's a little teaser, I guess. Okay, option B. You can amplify those most affected. So if you haven't been directly affected by measures meant to shut down protests, but you know people who were, you could say the communities I'm familiar with who are protesting right now believe the curfew is just a blank slate to arrest people. And I believe them because they're on the front lines. Okay, that that clip was a bit of a detour, but that setup was, what do you do when you come across somebody who says something that like, uh, well, I agree that the police violence is bad, but the National Guard coming in is it's okay to help the peace. And she's saying if basically if it's kind of a reasonable response, what you say is you say, well, I might not know about this, but the people I know, the people who they tell me that this is going to be violent and terrible and evil. And I trust them because they're on the front lines. I, I got I cut that clip because of that reasoning. I trust them because they're on the front lines. What what the fuck? The, that doesn't give them any credibility. That makes them more gullible. And, and the people you should not trust. I trust them because they're on the front lines. But the front line implies that there's another line. You know what I mean? The front line is like where France and Germany meet. It's where people go to die. Yeah. It's just in putting what that, defines the front line is what I'm asking. Yeah, that's a good question. In this circumstance, she's talking about protesters on the ground, but that could have multiple meanings. Putting that type of logic as acceptable logic in people's heads, this is where it's like we're disconnecting from reality and from actual critical thinking. That's what she's been doing. When she says it makes you uncomfortable, they're trying to confuse you, which is what gaslighting means. Yes. Yes, that's what they're doing. Speaking, I think this might be one of the uncomfortable clips. Oh, okay, yeah, this is that's great setup for this next clip. Here, she this is the short circuiting clip, I believe. What to do when you confront somebody who you do not know how to respond to what they say because we haven't told it, it's a script that we did not anticipate, and so you don't know the pre-programmed way to respond. So here's what you do instead. Now, mind you, that previous clip, she did tell them how they feel. She said, you can tell them, I trust the people on the front lines. That's how I feel. So she just imposed a feeling upon them. And here you go. Okay. Last but not least, uh, option C is validate your own ignorance. And I do want to give a caveat about this. I really love this particular one, uh, but I want to be clear. When I say validate your own ignorance, I'm not uh, encouraging folks to... Uh, use ignorance as an excuse for not doing anything or to to stop where you are, but just to rather to say that if you don't know what to say in response to someone else's argument or point, or if you don't have enough information to assuage your concern, their concern, that's okay. Your feelings and your beliefs and what you're arguing for is still valid. So you could just say something like, you know, I'm so honestly not sure about that, or I don't have enough information to say. I'll take it back. Sorry. So- You have no idea what you're talking about, but you should still stand firm and confident that you're right. Yes, exactly. So when Monica presents you with something you hadn't thought about and it starts to short circuit you, this is what you do. But just rather to say that if you don't know what to say in response to someone else's argument or point, or if you don't have enough information to assuage your concern, their concern, that's okay. Your feelings and your beliefs and what you're arguing for is still valid. So you could just say something like, you know, I'm honestly not sure about that, or I don't have enough information to speak to that impact, but I still feel angry and concerned about the violence against black lives that got us here. 
Well, of course yeah. you can say that, but right. that doesn't mean that the person, see, the other person is likely talking about tactics, strategies, and goals and principles. You know what I mean? They're probably yeah. talking about the details so that you have the Black Lives Matter words, which we can all agree on. It's all the other shit that you might want to think through or argue. What does it mean? How do you get there? How do you make things better for those very people? She's also saying facts don't matter. If they give you facts. Yeah, they, no, she's yeah. saying losing an argument is no reason to lose the argument. Yeah, because what that's you what feel, she's saying. The feeling that we just opposed, imposed upon you in the previous clip is still valid. Right. And I'm I'm just connecting that with the fact that this whole thing is about embracing an emotion and an idea that is yeah. universally valid but what they can't defend are the details she's she's putting the baggage she's putting a lot of baggage on that mm -hmm. so she's got everybody in there because we all agree on that emotional point of view and that fact that black lives matter and then when somebody says, yes, but what you're doing isn't really necessarily a part of that sentiment, what you're doing, you could do it a different way that may be better. And she's saying when they start challenging these, the, all the baggage yes. that comes with our brand mm -hmm. of those words, that's when you say, excuse me, fuck you, I'll be right back. And then, and that's so that she, can win your argument. Yes. That she can own your argument. That to me is basically the same thing as the Black Lives Matter, the two organizations, the one organization that was founded first that had a different idea of ending police brutality, which was by connecting them and developing relationships, was opposed to the way to achieve it by the official Black Lives Matter. So they blacklist them. Fuck you. You're not allowed in this because you have a different way of pursuing this. And the reason is because they're not really pursuing it. They're pursuing power. And and it, right. And it's about who's controlling yeah. the message, the right. outcome, the people, the mob. It's all of that stuff. That's why she does not want you to. Yes, she wants to control your mind. Yeah, exactly. Did you hear the beginning of this clip, by the way? It's, I didn't notice this until the second or third time I listened to it. What she says in the beginning of the clip. What she says in the, beginning, in the beginning of the clip is she says, just because you're ignorant about something, ignorance should not be an obstacle to action. So even if you don't know anything about what you're doing, you should still take action because we're telling you. Listen to it again. That's just crazy. I know. Listen to it Okay, last but not least, uh, option C is validate your own ignorance. And I do want to give a caveat about this. I really love this particular one, uh, but I want to be clear. When I say validate your own ignorance, I'm not uh, encouraging folks to uh, use ignorance as an excuse for not doing anything or to, to stop where you are, but just to rather to say that if you don't know what to say. So if you don't know shit, just still go, just this do what we tell you, slave. Not understanding what's going on is no reason to stop where you are. Yeah. That, that's the opposite of reality. Yeah. It's the worst advice ever. And people, and she's saying it so, she's so like non-threatening in her delivery, which the next clip really opened my eyes to her. Because the whole time I'm listening to this, I'm going, her tone in this, her just matter of fact, yeah, I'm non-threatening and encouraging people to go do things that could literally ruin their lives. I was saying that a while back we were talking. I was saying how when I read what I call hot propaganda, 
like the Atlantic or the New York or whatever, the real haut, it's haughty. It's, it is this way of, I'm super intellectual and I understand that I'm trying to help you and you probably wouldn't understand the argument. I could, I could, I could win that argument. Would that make sure, you know, you can own your, you can own your ignorance because let me just tell you, I could, I could win that argument. And so you just have to trust me on this. It's it. That's what it is. It's we talked about it then. That's, that's the religion too. Yes. And in this clip, she tells them what tone to use when you talk about people and hearing this, I'm like, that's what she's been doing the whole time. Okay, and then last but not least, a very common theme right now. Oh, that's the wrong one. Sorry. We only have a couple more clips, and then we got to wrap it up. We are getting towards the end. Might be hearing folks say something like, I support the protesters, but... Is that... Did I just play that one? Yeah. I think I might have mislabeled this one. Okay, I'm just going to tell you what it said. I think I mislabeled the clips, a a double-labeled one. Here's what she says. She tells them... She says, when you're talking to somebody and they bring up a specific instance that, so the specific argument that people are arguing, like whether it's a case that's on the news right now and they're saying, well, this specific thing isn't right because of this. She tells them to ignore the specifics and to not get trapped in a rabbit hole of those specifics that they are, that they are concerned about. And she says, what you need to do is ignore that and then speak broadly about the principles that you and they care about. That's straight out of facts or facts, but truth is true. It's un- yes, it's exactly what that is. And Then she tells them, she says, the tone to communicate it with. She says, communicate these messages to them in a tone where you, where it sounds like you're presuming that they know this is true. They know this is universally true. Speak to them in that tone. That's what they do. That's what she says. She tells them that explicitly. That's what they fucking do. It makes me crazy. They do that to me. And I'm like, dude. You had, that's when I say, don't dismiss, always refute. Yeah. yeah, They laugh in your face because you're not a liberal. I hate to say it like that. I'm not a conservative. I just like, it's, it's such a thing of the left. Although William F. Buckley, I think, I don't know if he did that exact thing. They have their own foibles on the right, but that is such a thing of the left that everyone knows. Everyone know any, anybody with a conscience knows that I'm right. You know what I'm saying. I don't explain it. It, it, There's no, it's it's like the argument of God. You can have, you can discuss whether there's a God or not. I don't think you're going to get it. It was so, I just went, whoa, when she said that. And I just make sure this. You want me to give you a minute? Okay. And then last but not least, direct to shared values. Uh, For one thing, we want to know. That is it. Okay. That is it. She just started. She said last but not least twice. I remember that now. This is she a did. Clip. Yeah, she did. Okay, and then last but not least, a very common theme right now. Uh, you might be hearing folks say something like, "I support the protesters, but violence never helps, or rioting never helps, or looting never helps." Um, the best practice we want to offer here is primarily to redirect to shared values with a side dose of appeal to their best self. So, a couple notes here. With redirect to shared values, uh, for one thing, we want to avoid rabbit holing about the specific thing the person is arguing for or against, not because we don't care what they think about that, um, but just because it can be more productive to focus on the values and the needs underneath that that person really cares about and that you care about too. And that kind of brings us to the part about appealing to their best self. 
sometimes the easiest way to get someone on board with what you're saying is to talk to them as if they already are, or imagine that you're talking to some part of them deeper down that's already with you. I'm overwhelmed. Isn't that crazy? That's what they call appealing to the best self. I'm I'm literally going to put that in the glossary because that is what I've been trying to put my finger on for so long. That's the, that's the dismiss rather than refute. That's the all, I, I mean, that's the all good people know. Well, I mean, it's amazing that she identified all the elements of it that I had seen. I didn't even I didn't even know how to articulate that yeah, feeling I yeah. got when they said that. And she did it for me. She did. Then she says, go back to the, the values that we all share. That's those three words. Black lives matter. Yep. Yes, they do. Mm-hmm. Can we agree on that? Yes. Yes, we can. So then, of course, you agree on all this other shit that I'm not even going to tell you about because I know you're there's a good person in there somewhere. Wow. And one more thing. Mm-hmm. Rabbit holing? I know, rabbit holing. I knew, I knew you would like that. What the? <laughs> rabbit holing? Yeah. Don't, don't get rabbit holed by their stupid little argument about specifics. The rabbit hole is where the truth is. Yeah, yeah, I don't need a rabbit hole. Wow. That clip... I think I have to hear it again. Oh, okay. Yeah, we can definitely hear it again. Okay. And then last but not least, a very common theme right now. Uh, you might be hearing folks say something like, I support the protesters, but violence never helps, or rioting never helps, or looting never helps. Um, the best practice we want to offer here is primarily to redirect to shared values with a side dose of appeal to their best self. So a couple notes here. With redirect to shared values, uh, for one thing, we want to avoid rabbit holing about the specific thing the person is arguing for or against, not because we don't care what they think about that, um, but just because it can be more productive to focus on the values and the needs underneath that that person really cares about and that you care about too. And that kind of brings us to the part about appealing to their best self. Sometimes the easiest way to get someone on board with what you're saying is to talk to them as if they already are or Imagine that you're talking to some part of them deeper down that's already with you. You know, in best practices, when someone says, you know, I'm concerned that looting isn't the best way to go about this. I would think best practices would be, you know, that's reasonable. I agree. Not I don't get what you're saying. Uh, do what? Um, well, it could be because my brain exploded, but I'm not following well, the, what you're the saying. The premise of it was <laughs> when someone comes to you saying this crazy thing like, looting isn't the way to accomplish your goals is that what she said yeah listen to the beginning of that oh clip. yeah 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 that it, is what she it, said she's telling them how to confront people <laughs> you know, i gotta listen to that i get to listen to the beginning again give me the beginning <laughs> again no i'm this is blowing my freaking yeah, mind it is. yeah okay and then last but not least a very common theme right now uh you might be hearing folks say something like i support the protesters but violence never helps or rioting never helps or looting never helps um, the best practice we want to offer here is primarily to redirect to shared values. As though that's a bad thing to yes! say. Right. So she's saying, look, we don't want looting to stop or rioting or violence to stop. Mm-hmm. You need to understand they have their opinions about that, but we need that is a really important. So we have to talk about shared values. Yes. I mean, that is nuts. I was so distracted by the fact that she pronounced the L in folk. That I I couldn't listen to for about yeah. like three minutes after that. I got one more gym for you, and that's it. Right, that was well worth the fact that my <laughs> kids are banging I on the door for dinner. I think this one will be too. <laughs> this, 
right, they, they explained how to do all these things, how to handle the situations, and then they finished up the training with a role-playing exercise where they demonstrate how to use these principles in action. And I'm only going to play you one of those, the most relevant one, in my opinion, which I find extraordinary. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, no, I'm like totally with you on that. That made a lot, makes a lot of sense to me. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I guess sometimes I just, maybe what comes up is like, aren't there more? They're role-playing, they're acting, they're improvising. Oh, okay, yeah. because I'm thinking I, she lost me at the first, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. yeah that, what <laughs> what led up to this was them going, oh, hey, my cousin <laughs> called, oh, hey, I haven't talked to you in a while, what have you been doing, what have you been, oh, I've just been really worried about the press, so, and I just cut it I, into a middle. Yeah, point. no, that's fine, but the yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, I'm like, uh-huh, because mm-hmm. yeah. it just sounds like she's trying to, she 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 just reminds me of the people in suits who were on the train in DC when I was there marching against Obamacare. Yeah. They were yeah. just wearing the little skirted suits and they were looking at me like I was some fucking idiot and I'm thinking to myself whatever. Yeah. I don't need to I'm trying to save this country. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? Don't look down your nose at me. So she's just trying to be one of us. I can't wait till you hear the other Ugh. person's acting performance. Okay. I find it fantastic. All right, I'll stop. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, no, I'm like totally with you on that. That made a lot, makes a lot of sense to me. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I guess sometimes I just, maybe what comes up is like, aren't there more effective ways to make a difference than rioting? Like, it just feels really hard to understand how looting is gonna is gonna help. Yeah, I, I definitely share your curiosity. Something I've learned recently is that we as white people should not be telling or questioning why or how black people are protesting. Like one, I'm going to stop it right there. We as white people should not be questioning why or how black people are protesting. I would like to point out that this is inherently racist to assume that only black people are rioting when that is obviously not true. And what if what if black people are the victims? Exactly. And here they are saying we can't question that, that it, that it's not our right. And to. also, I mean, it's profoundly racist to think that we are so fundamentally different. We can't understand each other's morality. That means we can't live in the same society. Telling people that those who question the rioting are not only wrong, but implying that they're racist is is so insidious it's racist to what she said was very mm-hmm. offensive yeah the difference than rioting like it just feels really hard to understand how looting is gonna is gonna help yeah i i definitely share your curiosity you know, something i've learned recently is that we as white people should not be telling or questioning why or how black people are protesting like one way we can support black activists is by doing their asks listening to what they need. For example, I've been following requests in my neighborhood for people to contact their local elected officials to push for police accountability. Have you heard of anything like that in Chicago? Um, no, I mean, I don't know. I don't think I really hear about that kind of stuff very often. Oh, well, it's easy. A great place to start is social media. Uh, do you follow Black Lives Matter? They're pretty easy to find on Facebook. You can just search Black Lives Matter Chicago. I bet you'll find them. Keep up with um, ways to participate. Okay. Uh, let me just, I guess I'll uh, check this out right now here. Oh, yeah. There's like a lot of posts popping up on this first search here. 
Yeah. Wow. Okay, cool. Okay, yeah, that sounds good. Like, what else is going on with you? Oh, well, I started working with some new responsibilities now that we have a smaller staff. But wait, real quick, can I ask you a question? Yeah, yeah, what's up? Would you mind being an accountability buddy with me? I've been meaning to call my local electives, but after a long day at work, I'm honestly really tired and kind of intimidated to call them. Maybe we can talk same time next week and check in with each other, see if we've made those calls yet. Um, yeah, I guess that sounds okay. Um, I know I was supposed to get you that new sourdough recipe as well. And like, it's always good to talk to you. So uh, yeah, that sounds good. Uh, you wanna tell me about this other stuff at work? Oh yeah, I totally forgot about the sourdough recipe. Please, please give that to me. I got you, um, babe. <laughs> okay. Can I go? And we are done. Oh, oh right. Okay, let's debrief that. <laughs> let's debrief that. Then they debrief it. But I think we have already debriefed it plenty. Hold on a second. That is, they're teaching people how to be obnoxious like penny stock traders it's like the wolf of wall street where he's just like just don't let them go like don't let them go until they've emptied their bank account into your bank account and don't care what they think because they're idiots yeah yeah it's extraordinary and they do these little training sessions about once or twice a month and they all i've seen people act like that thank you for your time this was a marathon podcast but i I enjoyed marathon because it's been so long yeah so we we i think we got some good stuff there Thank you guys Man. for listening. And My, I just feel like that little emoji where the guy's little brain is exploding. It is extraordinary the things they're teaching people. It's backwards. This is going to be one that people listen to more than once. I'm going to go listen to it more I know. than once. Yeah. I, like, I had to listen to these clips four or five times. I'd find something new every time I listened to it. Because, oh, oh, no, like, it's yeah. great. You did a great job. Thank you. That Thank was you for your time. Tell everybody I'm sorry. Blind. It's my fault that I kept you for so long. And I oh, apologize no. for that. Um, there's no there's no apologizing i just have to face the music <laughs> all right you guys can find this and obviously if you found this you know that you found it at the propaganda Report podcast feed or the propreport.com we will talk and you to know you. what if people actually if people share this because it's unique maybe we should tell them that we have a daily show yeah every single day we do a drive time news blast which is 30 minutes of news of the day from a perspective of truth liberty and justice so if you're still getting your news from the mainstream media now's the time to make the change but you can find it in the propaganda report feed on any of your podcasting platforms and if you guys are into this type of of show then if there's a demand for it then we can do these more often do these every so often i have tons of material and this is like maybe 10 percent of the material that i gather it for just this. So you, takes it's so much work. yeah it does it takes, it takes so a lot of work much time so maybe sometimes we'll do it instead of a dnb or maybe we'll do it in early release for patrons if people want to join patreon.com slash propaganda report we just put up a new tier fan of the free it's three bucks a month and we'll do maybe we'll do these early release for them All right. Thanks a lot. We will talk to y'all next time.